Good morning, good morning, and Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Good morning, Stephen. Shabbat Shalom. It is a morning worth singing about. Shabbat Shalom. Yes, Amen. Hey, Dale, good to see you, Dale. Shabbat Shalom, Dr. P. All right. Good Shabbat morning. Shalom. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, hi, Lori. Hi, Andrea. I see. Hi, Judy. Shabbat. Hi, Judy. Yeah. Hi, Hillary. Glad to see you. Hey, David. Glad you're Shabbat here. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hey, Murray. Shabbat Shabbat Shalom. Hey, people, good to see you, brother. Shabbat shalom. Ah, hey, Cole. Hey, Steve. Let's see what we can get going here. Shabbat shalom. There's a lot of people here, so I'm just trying to greet you all. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, Stephen. Shabbat shalom. Hi, Debari. Hi, Rebecca. Good to see you. Shabbat shalom, Dr. P. Yeah, hi, Angelo. Glad you're here, brother. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. All right. Hey, hey, John Barr. All right. Hey, you. I see you made it through the hurricane there, brother. No no problem, right? Made it. Nothing blew away. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Shabbat shalom. Hey, is that a Randall McFarland I see there? Hey, Randall. Hey, Doc. Check it out. It's coming back. Yeah. Shalom. There you hey, go, Randall. my man. Good they, to they, see they you, Randall. Handle the good man down. It just shows you right there. Hi, Eileen. Good morning to you. Hi, Sherry. Good to see you, Randall. Hi. Hey, Dr. P, I have a question. Somebody's been asking. Um, there's several of the Shabbat recordings missing on the Sefer website. So they was wondering when those might be downloaded. Last Shabbat isn't on there yet either. Last Shabbat's not on there. And that's yeah. my fault. That's my oh, fault. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll, I will. Uh, I can't believe last Shabbat's not on there. Eh, just shows you something's a little slow on the bra. And that somebody would be me. Well, you have yeah, a big yeah. workload, so it, it's it's okay. All right. Well, I will. Well, thank you for bringing it up, Sherry. I will double check that. I didn't realize my reading last week was that bad. I'm sorry, gang. That's well, sorry. listen, Angela. What can I tell you, man? I mean, it was it was just an unmitigated disaster. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it went well. It went very hey, well. Hey, one more thing. One more thing. Ask me, who is my favorite prophet? Yeah, who is your favorite prophet? With an Italian name, guess. It has to be Malachi, right? Malachi. Oh, yeah, Malachi. Yeah, the Italian. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to believe okay. they let an Italian like that in. And, of course, my favorite prophet is the Alaskan prophet, Habakkuk. <laughs> He's actually from Igigik. You know, most people don't know that about Habakkuk. He originally came from Alaska. Anyway, bad joke, bad joke. Yeah. Okay, let's see. You have to remember, in Alaska, we invented the hard K. The K in Alaska is spelled as a double K. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to give it an extra hard pronunciation. All right, let's see here. Let me see if I can get the core uh, portion. Here's one. We can share it. But yeah, so exciting things. I have to tell you, exciting things. We've had good conversations. Sherry and I had a good conversation this week, which I think was, well, it's very important to me in my life. I don't know if it is in everybody else's, but it definitely is in mine, which is that we were talking about um, what happened with the Worldwide Church of God. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Worldwide Church of God or if any of you had experience with that church, but this was a church that was launched by Herbert W. Armstrong. Am I correct? On that, Sherry? Yeah, I did. Yes, it was Herbert W. Armstrong. He was yeah. the founder. And, uh, you know, the church, um, the church, and of course, then I think his son broke away for a while. And then when he died, uh, 
the church was a, a Sabbath keeping and feast keeping church. And I guess at one time it was the fastest growing church in the world. And, and then once Herbert Armstrong died, the church changed and it went over to becoming a Sunday worshiping church. I mean, it went back to Christmas and Easter and all of that. And so that was the, Cox Jr. That, what was that? Cox Jr. was the one who changed all that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so what you there's see. A, there, there's a, there's a break off called the Philadelphia Church of Christ come off of that. They still keep the Sabbath. Um, when I first started in this walk, um, I studied down under them for um, like nine months until I come across Michael Rood. <laughs> and then I got my, uh, some more information about that. But yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of culties. But at the kind same, of culty, yeah, okay. But at the same time, they do not do Christmas and Easter and all that kind of stuff. So that's where I started out. Well, that's very interesting because I mean, the thing is, is that what we see is that a lot of people were dispossessed, and and I don't mean that you know dispossessed in terms of demon possession. I'm talking about they were dispossessed in terms of having no home. And uh, <clears throat> for instance, one of them happens to be friends of mine in South Africa, their family, and. Uh, and uh, they were actually, you know, uh, pretty well established in the, uh, what would you call it, the administration of the church. And of course, once the church went south, a lot of their friends that they'd been in church with also went back to Sundays. And so when that happened, there was a crisis of faith. And the crisis of faith uh, is ongoing. I mean, when did the church go down, Sherry? You recall? Oh, Dabari, when was that? It was clear back in 90, oh, I want to say 95, 96, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think around that time, it was around 90, 90 yeah, 94, wasn't it? I don't know for yeah, sure. It might have been 94. It yeah. was more like 2003, guys. Was it that late, Judy? Yeah, it was. Uh, no, but what What about when the was after dad passed away, Sherry. And he passed away in 2000. And it was about the time I started working for Walmart, which is 2000. So around 2000, 2003, somewhere in there, it started going down. Okay, well, yeah, I have she... missing time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, something got suspended in time there. Yeah, that's what happened. But Can I mentioned something, Dr. P. Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Robert. Well, I, I started as a child in there. And uh, of course, that's where I met my wife. But um, the uh, church down here at Down South started going downhill in the early 80s because so many people were, were uh, predicting the end of the world in 1982 or 81 for some reason. But I remember that was when it started going down here. That people started doing what? They started going back into the world or what? No, people were... So many of them down this way were predicting that the end of the world, that Jesus was coming back in 1981 or 82. And uh, so, that, you know, they, 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 they still called it Jesus. And I don't know if you know, oh, uh, that guy in Texas, him and his brother tried to get Herbert W. Armstrong to pronounce the, well, pronounce Yahuwah and Yahusha and, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong wouldn't do it, but uh, uh, I believe if they would have gone over and started pronouncing the 
the right name. I believe it would have hung in there a little better. Well, that may have been what um, what ultimately brought the church to an end, because you know I can tell you, you know, we have a it's a very critical prophecy, and of course the prophecy resides where in the Book of Revelation, and when you look at the at the Book of Revelation, which I will bring up here in just one second, we see it's the instruction given to the Church of Philadelphia. Right, and it writes this. It reads this way, and to the angel of the called out assembly in Philadelphia, write these things, says he that is holy, he that is true, and he that has the key of David, he that opens, and no man shuts, and he that shuts, and no man opens. I know your works. Behold. I have set before you an open door and no man can shut it for you have a little strength and have guarded my word and have not denied my name. Now you can see that at this point, and then it goes on to say, behold, I will make them that are of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Yahudim, but are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have guarded the word of my patience. I will also guard you from the hour of calamity, which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast, which you have that no man can take your crown. He that overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of Elohim, and he shall go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of Elohim, and the name of the city of my Elohim, which is renewed Yerushalayim, which comes down out of heaven from my Elohim. And I will write upon him my new name. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Ruach says to the called out assemblies. And so here we see that this becomes uh, a very interesting, uh, a very interesting prophecy, and it's very interesting that Herbert W. Armstrong could get so much correct, but he would not get the name correct. And of course, you know, we've looked, uh, you know, years. You guys have been a part of this fellowship for a long time now, and you know the teaching on the name, and that the teaching on the name has been something that has been used, of course. And it's been used primarily by Rome to establish itself. And, you know, when we look at the world now, we can see that a, a lot of this is Rome, Rome, and more Rome. And now, you know, a lot of the, the issues that, that we've been facing over the last several years were a direct result of what's called the Laudate Si, which was a, a document written by the Pope. And the Laudate Si... Uh, ended up being very problematic, uh, you know, climate change, uh, the you know the the uh, the whole idea of lockdowns and pandemics, all of this kind of thing. It all came out of and, and uh, too many people on Earth and so forth. That all came out of the 2015 document of well, Joseph's got the police ship in his house there. <laughs> you okay, Joseph? Let me know. Let me know when they arrive. Okay, but. Uh, <laughs> The uh, 
but when you see the um, uh, the Laudate Si, you know, was this foundational document which put all things in motion we're in today. Now the the story is, is that uh, Bregoglia is about to uh, is about to enter into a uh, an amendment to the Laudate Si. Now, Lowry just writes that the EU just passed a Digital Services Act that allows the bureaucracy to manage the teams of fact checkers to monitor and direct internet search providers and to remove disinformation and propaganda from the internet. Yeah, this is, uh, and not only, but not only do they get to, you know, remove things, but they can also fine you and they can fine you out of existence uh, if you're responsible for promoting disinformation. So we don't engage in that, uh, in that kind of, um, that kind of distribution. So at any rate, uh, so when we take a look at this now, we see that um, we see that this church, the Worldwide Church of God, which had many things right, but did not have the name right. And in fact, when confronted with the name, they walked away from it. And so as a consequence, all of the machination was taken down and was replaced with Rome. And, and so uh, we're not trying to recreate the Worldwide Church of God here, but for those people who had a home where the feast was celebrated and the Sabbath was celebrated, you know, you're welcome. You're certainly welcome here because we're on that same kind of page. Now, the difference is here is that we don't really join together as a group because we're, you know, we're worldwide, right? For a lot of you, you don't, you know, you have nobody personally in your neighborhood with whom you can share these things. But we are coming into the fall feast now. Soon we will be at Yom Teruah. And Yom Teruah, I believe, is the evening of the 14th. And then we will be coming into Yom Kippur, the evening of the 24th. And, and then five days later, we will be in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I know in the, in the Worldwide Church of God, Feast of Tabernacles was a big deal. Everybody went out spent 10 days and uh you know uh it was a huge thing and really it is to be a huge thing it is supposed to be a huge thing and it's a it's a time of celebration it's not a time of uh it's not a time of mourning it's not a time of uh self-affliction it's a celebration and the celebration is has to do with that the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us and during that week of tabernacles we complete the torah portion when we complete the torah portion then we start anew after the last great day and of course the last great day is not referenced believe it or not it's not referenced in the old testament it's referenced in the new testament and it is mashiach who references the last great day he was in Yerushalayim on the last great day why? Because he was observant. That's why. He was observant to tabernacles. He was observant for Pesach. He was observant for Shavuot. He was observant on all of these things because he was not outside the, the rhythm of the Torah. And when we talk about the feast, we talk about the rhythm of the Torah. And this is a life rhythm. And this life rhythm is given to us as... Um, Yes, it is an agricultural schedule. It's an agricultural schedule, certainly, most assuredly. Uh, but it's also a rhythm schedule. 
and the rhythm schedule that we're given in scripture is like all other things given by Yah. It's a rhythm of life. It's not a rhythm of death. It's a rhythm of life. It's not a rhythm of servitude. It's a rhythm of freedom. I mean, when you think about us having an arbitrarily placed new year at the end of the 10th month, which December is the 10th month, and you can see that just by looking at the names, right? October is the eighth month. November is the ninth month. Deca, December, is the 10th month. That makes January the 11th, February the 12th. And of course, if you have any extra time in the calendar year, you add it to the last month of the year, which is why it's added to February, not December. So you have an arbitrarily placed new year. You have an arbitrarily placed beginning of the day in the middle of the night. And then you have this arbitrary calendar. And the arbitrary calendar is, you know, it's very easy to follow the arbitrary calendar because it's 13, 28 day days or months. Uh, no, that's not it. It's, uh, it's 12, 30 day months. No, that's not it. Oh, that's right. 30 days has September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, except for that one that doesn't have 31, which you have to remember separately because sometimes it's got 28 or 29, right? That's a very easily recognizable calendar. That's no, there's no problem there at all, right? It's arbitrary. It is an algorithm that has been placed over reality. And it, and this is why people, you know, in fact, we were trying to develop a Yom Kodesh app and the app developer was, what's the algorithm? What's the algorithm? What's the algorithm? Well, it's not an algorithm. And the reason it's not the an algorithm, I mean, I suppose you could plot it if you get down to where you know the moon cycles over a hundred year period. But it's not an algorithm. What it is, is the calendar is a natural calendar. And your body is in tune with the natural calendar. Whether you want to admit it or not, your body has a biorhythm and the biorhythm is consistent with the moon cycles and the moon cycle is consistent with the tide cycles. And with the tide cycles and the moon cycles moving, you can rest assured your body, which is 90% water, is also moving with those cycles. So the moon cycles and the sun cycles are cycles of life. They're a rhythm of life. And in the rhythm that in the, of the calendar you get from Pope Gregory, did they give you the Shabbat? Did they give you the Sabbath in that calendar? No, they gave you a day of homage to Rome, but they did not give you the Shabbat. And so here we have Mashiach, here we have Yah giving us the Shabbat. Six days he worked and on the seventh day he rested. Aren't we thankful he didn't work 364 days and rest on the 365th, right? Six days he worked, rested on the seventh, and he gave us this rhythm. And in this rhythm is accompanied by the feast days, which are to be celebrated three times a year. The former rain, the center, and the latter rain. And the center is the shamash, right? The servant light, the servant light, which is Shavuot. And so we see these three feast groupings, the latter rain, the shamash, and the former rain. We see that we also have uh, three in the spring and three in the fall. 
so we have, of course, the idea of uh, Pesach, Matzah, and the wave offering, first fruits wave offering, followed by Shavuot in the middle, the Shamash, the servant light. And in the servant light, what is given but the Torah? The Torah was given at the time of the servant light. It was given at Mount Sinai, and it was given anew in the upper room with the bringing of the Ruach HaKodesh like tongues of fire. And then, of course, we have the Feast We have the feast of Trumpets, which is coming up here in two weeks. We have the Day of Atonement, uh, which will be the 10th day of the seventh month. And that is going to be followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, which begins on the 15th day of the month, goes for seven days. And then the eighth day is called the Last Great Day. And the Last Great Day is a great feast day and a great celebration. The Torah is complete. The feasts are complete. And then we look into another year. Now, when we look across in the winter, it's very strange because we have these feast days that are marked across um, basically spring, summer, fall, right? We go spring, summer, fall. Then where do we go? What do we do during the winter? You know, hibernate, right? I guess it's the plan to hibernate. Well, actually, no, because during the winter, there's a number of things that take place. Now, you can look and say, well, what about Hanukkah? Well, Hanukkah is a dedication feast belonging to the Maccabeam. And, you know, the idea of replacing the menorah with the Hanukkah, replacing the Torah with the Talmud, replacing the original temple that included the Ark of the Covenant with a temple that would not include the Ark of the Covenant, replacing the Torah with the writing of the oral law, which would become the Talmud or the Mishnah. And this is also followed by this by the Feast of Purim, which is when you read Hadassah, which is the, the correct book of Esther, not the redacted book of Esther, but Hadassah, the whole book of Esther, you read that this is actually a two-day feast. And not only is it a two-day feast, but there's also fasting that is called. Now, fasting is called throughout Scripture. We have these fasts set forth in the Yom Kodesh. But fasting is called out throughout Scripture, and fasting is a meaningful part of the faith journey. It is a meaningful part of the faith journey. It should be something which is not foreign to you. And fasting sometimes includes an all-day fast, 24 hours, sometimes a three-day fast. And for those who are more inspired, you might be interested in doing an even greater fast. But there are definitely one-day fasts that are marked out throughout Scripture, some two-day fasts, and a three-day fast. And so these three-day, this fasting, you know, in the, you know, I can tell you that I don't know that this is taught in Catholicism at all, but it is certainly taught in Orthodoxy. And they have, when you look at a church calendar schedule in an Orthodox church, they will have fasting days in every month. Every month will have fasting days. And it is good to fast as a discipline for the church because fasting takes you away from this, you know, this worship of the tongue my tongue says i have to have this i have to have this well do you really right and the answer is you know actually no you don't because 
to master the tongue and master the tongue in terms of what you eat is a nice thing to do because then maybe you can master the tongue as to what you say. And James has a lot to say about us not mastering the tongue, right? Am I right? And uh, so at any rate, all of these things are, and of course, you know, and I wanted to encourage everybody because what little that we do in our own feast recognition, our own feast observance, becomes a big deal for those around us. When we're observant for Pesach and we're going to do it no matter what, suddenly the people around us are recognizing, gee, they're doing Pesach again. I suppose we should recognize that. I mean, I didn't know it. I found I found out last night, you know, we had gone to South Africa for Pesach and there's a new church here in the community. It's the biggest church in the community. And I mean, they're like, yeah, it's like a welcome to the area church, right? Huge. And they had gotten together and met with some people and said, well, I guess we're going to do Pesach. So what do we do? And they had no idea how to do the Pesach. And so the gal that was telling us about this last night, she said, well, if you're going to do Pesach, you need to invite all the pastors in the community. And there's like 120 something pastors in the community. So they invited all the pastors in the community. And so when they did this, and then they got a Haggadah, and then the guy who organized this said, well, who's going to read the Haggadah? Because we don't have the slightest idea what we're doing. And they ended up setting up 120 tables for the Pesach and having this huge Pesach. But of course, I was already in South Africa, so that wasn't going to happen. At least not for me anyway. But they did do a great Pesach here in town, this last Pesach. Why? Because they had heard that there were other groups in, in the city that were going to be observing Pesach. And so this becomes a significant thing. And it's the same thing when we come into the Feast of Tabernacles, when we come into Yom Kippur. You know, Yom Kippur is a big deal. This is a feast of affliction, the feast of atonement. And it is a time when we take the time now as we draw near towards the end of the Torah portion. And as we draw near towards this cycle of the year, that we do a self-audit, a re-evaluation, right? Who are we? Right? Who are we? And, and who are we in the kingdom? And, you know, the audit appears before Yah. It doesn't appear before me. doesn't appear before anybody else. It appears in your mirror, for sure. In your mirror, you're going to find that audit. But it's an audit before Yah. And you want to be able to look at Yah and say, okay, you know, cleanse my heart, oh Yah, right? And to bring in, bring to the table and see what it is that Yah says to you. Who are you in him? And what have you been called to do? How do you fit as a portion of the body of Mashiach? And I think these things are, they're big questions and they're questions that are deserving of an answer. And I think, yeah, will tell you these things. You know, I was talking with Yah this morning and I said, you know, yeah, why did you pick me to do these kinds of things? I mean, there's lots of people that you could have picked 
that, you know, weren't splattered all over the curb like me. And he said to me, well, you know what? He says, the reason I picked you is because you keep getting back up. You keep getting back up. And it's like, you know, no matter what happens, no matter what they put you through, no matter what they call you, no matter how they trash you, you get back up. I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it's true. Because my perspective on it is like, well, what else are you going to do? Right? You can sit around and mope in your beer if you want, but that's not going to work. You have to pick yourself up and get back in the race, as Frank Sinatra would say, you know. And that I think that is really the key. That's the key for me anyway, is that no matter what comes, okay, it's going to come. You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if we could say, well, our faith has brought us nothing but prosperity and a good time. And when the prosperity and the good time runs out, well, I'm going to be raptured and I'm going to be hanging out on the mezzanine, looking down on those other poor fools who weren't as holy as me. Right? But that that's not the life that is promised, right? Mashiach says, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. And recognize that this is not going to be a bed of roses. There's going to be suffering involved with your walk. There is going to be. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be times when Yah puts you in a cold space. There's going to be times when he puts you in a chastening space, right? There's going to be times when he sets you in, into a field of correction. And as Job would say, though he may yet slay me, still, I will praise Yah. Still, I will praise Yah. Right. Okay. All right. So with that, do we have some volunteers for reading the Torah today, reading the Torah portion? Who'd like to engage with us today? If you don't have anybody, I'm still hanging out. So. Well, I don't know, Angelo. After last week's performance, I don't know, man. No, you I'm might kidding. Not get I'm kidding. We'll lose our broadcast again. <laughs> I'm kidding you, brother. I just <laughs> Sorry, I got you. Know that. You know that. Hey, all right. Hang on just a second before we do, Angelo. We'll get into that. Hey, hey, Chris. Hey, Melissa. Hi. You guys are in load shedding, I see. Yep. <laughs> okay, let's let me let me just inform everybody what load shedding is. Load shedding in South Africa, they shut off the power uh, throughout the whole country three times a day for about four hours at a, at a stretch and That's two and a half two and a half hours two and a half hours is it yes it's on the real bad times it's four it's two and a half hours and they've broken us up into different sections so it's sort of all over the place you know you yeah they've got a they've got some kind of a schedule going but only they know when when yeah, it is really. yeah only they know when, right it's it's a mystery <laughs> Did you get your phone charged? Gee, I'm sorry, you missed it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a little better than that, but yeah, it's close. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Chris, I have to tell you uh, before we get into the Torah portion, you know, we were, I was talking with um, this woman Karen last night, and she was a very inspired person, painter, and uh, she came to the house and she was the one telling us the story of the Pesach, and so I told her, I said, well, you know. And she's had these miraculous uh, trips into Israel. She's been to Israel 11 times and she's going back for a 12th. 
And I was telling her, I said, well, you know, it's interesting because when I was in Israel in 2012, uh, we had uh, Penny and I, Penny Castro and I, we went up to the upper room. And it's not really the upper room, but they call it the upper room. And and this particular time, it was unlocked. So we were able to go all the way up to the upper room. And when we get up there, there's like 20 people. And they're sitting on the floor and they're singing. But they're singing in a foreign language, right? And I'm listening to this like, okay, these people are singing in a foreign language. I don't know what it is, you know. Anyway, they started to sing, uh, How Great Thou Art. And of course, Penny and I just decided, well, we're just going to join in and start singing, you know, because it was joyful singing, right? So we started singing in English and they immediately converted over to English when they heard us sing English. I'm like, who are these people that they know English? You know, so they, they started singing in English. And when they finished singing in English, I asked them, well, who are you? Where are you from? Oh, we're from South Africa. So they had been singing in Afrikaans, right? And so we started all singing in English. And then I then I looked at them and I said, okay, well, do you want to learn a Hebrew song? Do you want to learn a Hebrew song? And they said, oh, yeah, sure. And so I taught them uh, Adonai, Adonai, Sevaot, Melech HaKavod. And uh, anyway, so we taught that and we started singing that. And we started singing a couple other Hebrew songs. And then that was that. And then we left and we said, okay, we'll see you later. It was great meeting you guys in the upper room. So I don't know who they were, Chris, but it was a group of 20 South Africans. And uh, it was, a, I guess that was the beginning of what would happen. And so anyway, so I mentioned this to, to Karen and she said, well, you know, it's funny because she said, I was given a word for South Africa and told to make a banner. And so well, this was a period of time when she was making banners. And so she made a huge banner for a church in South Africa. And I said, well, what was on the banner? She said, well, what I, the word that I received was the open door. And the banner I created was a huge banner that was the Dalit, and it said the open door. And that's what she said to South Africa. And I got to thinking about this prophetic word, and I realized it is a prophetic word of significance because it, it appears, and I read this today about the Church of Philadelphia, that the Church of Philadelphia is, in fact, in South Africa. And it is an open door which no man can shut. But the Church of Philadelphia is only the Church of Philadelphia in that it has not denied his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I love it because it, it ties in a little bit to the to the um to the Haftorah portion, you know, where he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. Kumiori. Amen. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely give that a, a, a go when you're back here, and we'll, we'll make that known to everybody around us. <laughs> hallelujah hallelujah okay so let's have angelo read let's have angelo start on the portion and then chris if you'll pick up the haftarah and the besarah yeah melissa will do that i'm uh, i'm gonna sit back okay hi melissa <laughs> <laughs> all right okay all right let me pull up the portion here and we'll get it going here okay let's see this looks like it here Okay. 
Okay, can everybody see that? I'll take that as a yes. Okay, Angelo, why don't you go ahead and give us the par shot we're going to be reading here. We're, see, we're closing in on the end of the Torah portion, right? We're in Deuteronomy 26 through Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29. So why don't you go ahead and give us that reading, if you would, Angelo? May I share a brief blessing with the group? Sure. Um, yeah, can, you put your, it, can you put your camera up? Can you put your oh, camera I'm sorry. Yeah, you might regret this, but okay. <laughs> All right. What are you trying to do to us, Angela? Um, I have to look at this one picture to share this with you, and then I can come back on. Um, okay. okay. It's just a point of interest. You know, a lot of things are going on in this season. Very interesting. The enemy, very busy, September 18th. Well, ironically, I saw something this morning I was looking at in a constellation. Of course, this has nothing to do with astrology, and it's not anything about prophesying. It's just a point of interest that the morning stars setting above Regulus, which is the king in Leo and below it, the messenger, isn't that interesting that it's September 18th in that area for a few days, it will be at its very brightest. And I find that very interesting with the things that the nations are doing at that time. And of course, the just intensity of the clarity that's coming to all of his people. You can feel it. You can just feel it. It's getting much, much deeper and deeper and deeper. So we're definitely coming into some kind of a season for sure. I, I want to yeah, share yeah. that along. Yeah, I agree with that. Prayer. I agree. You have a daily prayer. As in for us, blessed are you at Yahweh forever and ever for giving us at the doorway to the kingdom of heaven and Messiah. When I looked at the constellation, I was saying, isn't that fascinating? On so many levels, he gives us eyes to see things and we ponder on it. We look up. And we're excited as the deliverance gets closer. So I just wanted to share that. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, we'll try to get over here. Really? Can I add to that too? There is also a child coming out of the womb of uh, Virgo nine months after a, a comet called Yeshua coming out of the womb. What is this? Uh, what's the, the comet is called what? A comet called Child. The Revelation 12 sign. Oh, yeah, the Revelation 12 sign. Yeah, yeah. There's an instead of Jupiter coming out, it's a, a child, a comet called Child. And it's coming out nine months after another comet had gone through and it's coming out on September 18th. And uh, so it's amazing. coming out nine months. Amazing. Months after Yeshua, the comet Yeshua comes out. And the moon is at her feet and the sun is at her head at the same time. So it could be the actual factual Revelation 12 sign. And uh, also at that time, there's a bunch of witches are gathering to come against mankind. So if we could all pray and fast on that very day or before. A bunch of witches are coming up? Yeah, there's a call for all the Salem witches to come up against mankind. It, they're uh, using the crow. Um, yeah, it's a bunch of witchcraft stuff. Well, going I on. break the news to the witches. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but listen, they have no power, absolutely no power over the remnant whatsoever. No yeah. power at all. And so and they're, you know, they can they can sit and, you know, wheeze and puff and incant and do all the rest of that. And the simple name of Yosha puts the end of all of that. It's just yeah. Right? Yeah, they're they're obviously scared. It's all coming together on that one day. 
So yeah, <laughs> should be a, proved to be an interesting time. Yeah, yeah, really. All right, well, that's great. Well, that's good to hear. Okay, Angela. So let's let's get started with this. Thank you. <clears throat> Twenty six one, and it shall be when you are come in unto the land which Yahweh Eloheka gives you for an inheritance to possess it and dwell therein that you shall take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which you shall bring of your land that Yahweh Eloheka gives you, and shall put it in a basket, and shall go unto the place which Yahweh Eloheka shall choose to place his name there. And you shall go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto Yahweh Eloheka, that I am come unto the country which Yahweh swore seven oaths unto our fathers for to give us, and the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of Yahweh Eloheka. And you shall speak and say before Yahweh Eloheka. And is, how does that pronounce, Dr. P? Arami? Arami? And Arami. Arami. Okay, thank you. And Arami, ready to perish, was my father. And he went down into Mitzrayim and sojourned there with a few. And he became there a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And Mitzrayim evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto El Yahweh Elohei of our fathers, Yahweh heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And Yahweh brought us forth out of Mitzrayim with mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders brought us on to this place and he has given us this land even a land that flows with milk and honey and now behold i have brought the first fruits of the land which you O yahweh have given me and you shall set it before yahweh eloheka and worship before yahweh eloheka and you shall rejoice in every good thing which yahweh eloheka has given unto you unto your house you and the levy and the stranger that is among you when you have made an end of tithing of all the tithes of the increase the third year which is the year of tithing and have given in unto the levy the stranger the fatherless and the widow that they may eat within your gates and be filled then you shall say before yahweh eloheka i have brought away the hallowed things out of my house and also have given them unto the Levi and unto the stranger, to the fatherless, to the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I have not eaten thereof in my mourning, neither have I taken away aught thereof for any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead. But I have hearkened to the voice of Yahweh Elohim and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people, Yashorel, and the land that you have given us, as you sworn seven oaths unto our fathers, a land that flows with milk and honey. Okay, now let's stop there, please, this Angelo. Let's stop there for just a second, okay? Because look at this here. So we have seen, we can see here a whole number of things, right? Okay. You have made an end of the tithing, all the tithes of the increase of the third year. The increase of the third year. 
which is the year of tithing, and have given it unto the levy, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within your gates and be filled. So there was a third year tithe that can be expressed as a 10% tithe or, you know, is given as a portion annually as a three and a third percent tithe, if you will, that is given to the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and the levy, right? And you shall say before Yahweh Eloheka, I have brought away the hollowed things, the hollowed things out of my house, and have given them unto the levy and unto the stranger and the fatherless and to the widow, according to all your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, neither have I forgotten them. So in addition to the commandments that were given, that are the thou shalts and thou shalt nots, you also have this duty towards the levy, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Okay? All of these are here, and, and this is directly referred to here. As we get into a Torah portion that is going to be looking closer and closer towards uh, the Feast of Atonement, I have not eaten thereof in my morning, neither have I taken thereof anything for any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead, right? And was given for the dead, but I have hearkened to the voice of Yahweh Elohai and have done according to all that you have commanded me, right? Look down from your holy habitation from heaven. Bless your people. Bless your people, Yasharel, and the land which you have given us which you swore seven oaths unto our father, the land with milk and honey. So it's it, this is a big part of our understanding. And remember, once again, you know, the teaching of the Torah says, no cutting yourself for the dead, right? And no necromancy, no interface with the dead. And uh, all of these kinds of things. So what is, what's being said here? This is a Torah of life, not a Torah of death. Okay? Okay, go ahead. Keep reading there. Sorry about that, Angela. Maybe you think what Yahushua said, too, to the ones that, what do I need to do to gain life? And he, and he said, you know, there was one thing lacking in you as you read his heart. Sell all your belongings. Give to the poor. Sell all your belongings and follow me, right? Yeah. Uh, this yeah, yeah. day, no, I'm sorry. This day, Yahweh Eloheka has commanded you to do these commandments and these judgments. You shall therefore guard and do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have avouched Yahweh this day to be your Elohim and to walk in his ways and to guard his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And Yahweh has avouched you this day to be his peculiar people yeah. as he has promised you and that you should guard all his commandments and to make you high above all nations, which he has made in praise and in name and in honor, that you may be a holy people unto Yahweh Eloheka, as he has spoken. Yeah. 27. And Moshe, with the elders of Yasharel, commanded the people, saying, Guard all the commandments which I command you this day, and it shall be on the day when ye shall cross over the Yardan, unto the land which Yahweh Eloheka gives you, that you shall set up great stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write upon them all the words of this Torah you are passed over, that you may go in unto the land which Yahweh Eloheka gives you 
a land that flows with milk and honey, as Yahweh Elohim of your fathers has promised you. Therefore, it shall be when ye be gone over the Yardan that ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day, and mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster, and there you shall build an altar unto Yahweh Eloheka, an altar of stones. You shall not lift up any iron tool upon them. You shall build the altar of Yahweh Eloheka of whole stones, and you shall offer ascending smoke offerings thereon unto Yahweh Eloheka, and you shall offer peace offerings, and shall eat there, and rejoice before Yahweh Eloheka. And you shall write upon the stones all the words of this Torah very plainly. And Moshe and the priest, the Levim, spoke unto all Yasharel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Yasharel, this day you are become the people of Yahweh Eloheka. You shall therefore obey the voice of Yahweh Eloheka and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day. And Moshe charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim, Gerizim to bless the people when ye are come over the Yardan, Shaman, and Levi, and Yahuda, and Ishikar, and Yosef, and Binyamin. And these shall stand upon Mount Eval to curse Reuven, God, and Asher, and Zebulon, Dan, and Napoli. Yeah, now this is the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Cursing, right? The Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Cursing. Now, recently they found a, a stone in Israel on what they believe was Mount Ebal that was the stone of cursing. It had the curses of Joshua that sat on the stone, right? That happened this year. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, let's keep going. Sorry, Angelo. No, that's fine. And the Leviim shall speak and say unto all the men of Yasharel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that makes any graven image or molten image an abomination unto Yahweh, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and puts it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be he that sets light by his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that removes his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that makes the blind to wander out of the way, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be that he that perverts the judgment of the stranger, fatherless and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Okay, now hold Cursed on. Be let's, let's, take these, let's take these little by little, okay? Because this is a big load. But it's very important that we understand each of these, right? Cursed be the man that makes any graven or molten image an abomination unto Yahweh. Now, when we talk about this, I mean, when you think about these, this in, in this graven or molten image, uh, you're talking about some kind of, um, you know, it's a statue, right? And I don't think that it's a carving. But, well, it's an, yeah, it's an engraved image, an engraved image or molten image unto Yahweh, right? You're making a molten image or an engraved image unto Yahweh. And this is, cursed is any man that does this, right? So you want to make a statue or you want to make a, uh, you know, a crucifix with Mashiach on it, 
or uh, you want to make a bowl or you want to make a, you know, you want to make Anubis or something like this, you're making an, a, a graven or molten image, a graven or molten image unto Yahweh. And then the commandment says, thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt make no engraven image or molten image and bow down to it. Right? This is an abomination to Yahweh. Okay. And you make the graven image or the molten image and you put it in a secret place. Right? So this is a secret idol. Right? A secret idol. People say amen. Okay, cursed be he that sets light by his father and his mother. What is that? What's he talking about there? Well, I'll tell you what I think it is. I think that this is uh, going out and lighting a candle at your parents' grave. Because you're setting up, you're, you're going out there and putting a candle by your parents' grave like the soul can walk from the grave and is going to use the candle to see it, right? I think that's what's being said here. Curse be he that removes his neighbor's landmark. Well, how does that factor when you talk about your county uh, or your state or your city taking away somebody's property in order to put in a road or to put in a public building or to do something else? Or do they take on a curse when they do that? The answer is yes, they do. Cursed be he that makes the blind to wander out of the way. Yeah, you don't want to be that person. Cursed be he that perverts the judgment of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Who would that be? Well, that's the judiciary in almost every country in the world right now. They have perverted the judgment of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And they are cursed for doing so. They're cursed for doing so, period. It's not my opinion. It's what's written in the scripture. Okay, let's continue with number 20. Cursed be he that lies with his father's womb, because he uncovers his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Um, question, is that possibly what happened with Ham? Yes. With its, yeah. That's exactly what happened when it says he uncovered his father's nakedness. That is a scriptural term for having a relationship with his father's woman. Right. And that makes perfect sense because it's pretty intense to curse on that. So there it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yep. Okay. Okay. Cursed be he that lies with any manner of beast. Yeah, that's and a, all the that's people. Man, man. Amen. Cursed be he that lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all well, the people shall say, Amen. You got to remember, you remember who did that? Abraham. Abraham married his half sister. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Verse 23. Verse 23. Cursed be he that lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that smites his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. 
Cursed be he that takes reward to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Mm -hmm. Cursed be he that confirms not all the words of his Torah to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Yeah, now when we see this, cursed be he that takes reward to slay an innocent person. You think about the kinds of uh, non-warrior people, what we would call civilians, that have been killed in Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, now Ukraine. Uh, you know, there are people who are taking rewards right now to lob HIMARS and drones into civilian targets, hospitals, schools, apartment buildings. And they're taking reward to do it. And they are cursed. It's that simple. They're cursed. Okay. All right. Let's keep going, lest we don't get to. I eat. was thinking of all of the narrative when the planned, what you know, what we talk about in 2020 started, and wasn't it amazing the amount of money that was thrown at individuals, institutions, corporations, you name it, and the death and, and, and just tragedy that happens to all these innocent people. That makes me think of that. They're cursed. They're, you yeah. Know, it's the fruitage of it. Hey, Dr. P. Yeah. Um, verse 26, cursed be he that confirms not at all the words of this Torah to do them. Well, isn't that everybody except a very few people? Isn't that every, the whole world? Uh, yeah. Well, again, you know, when we talk about this, if you see, if you look at here, there's a couple of things I want to point out to you guys. That is something quite interesting that we see, uh, in the English translation, right? which is cursed B. That B is in italics in verse 16. Cursed B, right? Cursed B. Well, this is a, uh, a translation inflection because, you know, we're going to take this, we're going to take this phrase and we're going to give it a context that says cursed B. Like, for instance, when you look at the uh, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed be so-and-so, right? Blessed be the me. But actually, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say that. The connotation is given in the past tense by the translators. But let's just take out the B and let's say that it doesn't exist because why? It's in italics. So this doesn't become cursed at all, but curse. This part doesn't exist. Curse the man that makes graven or molten images, which are an abomination unto Yahweh, and then puts it in it puts it in a in a secret place. Okay. All right. Curse he that sets light by his father. Curse he that removes his neighbor's landmark. So when you get down here, you see the all written right there is in italics. B is in italics and the all is in italics. Those are translation inflections giving context to the phrase. If we take it out and we remove this, curse he that confirms not the words of this Torah to do them. So you see all is a translator's idea. Curse he that confirms not the words of this Torah. Or curse him that does not confirm the works of this Torah to do them. 
Now, there's a whole, there's a logistical reason for doing this. And the logistical reason is, is that this is the law of the land. And this is the point that Moshe is making. And remember, you have to keep this in mind whenever we talk about the Torah portion. It's important to understand the Torah portion as a group of precepts. Okay, the idea is to understand the what is going behind the precept much more than it is to understand the letter of the law. Because like we saw last week when we were dealing with some very difficult aspects of the law, the letter is going to be impossible for anybody in modernity to follow some of those commands, you know, concerning slavery and some of the other things that were on the table. Uh, for instance, the idea of capturing a foreign woman, shaving her head for a month, cutting her nails, making her your woman, casting her out if you don't like her, these kinds of things. Those kinds of things, you're just not going to fly in the modern world. But the precept is, is worth cognizing to understand that this is a foreign woman and that this woman has to be given a chance to mourn if she's going to become part of your society. And all of these things have to be there. Now, so when we look at this, we, you have to recognize that that anyone who is not going to be in on board with this law, well, then what law are you planning on following? Moshe doesn't ask the question because he's not interested in the debate. It's not a question of let's have a debate and see who's doing what. It's a question is, this is the law. You have to follow it. You don't have the opportunity to create your own law. This is the law of the house of Yasharel. And if you're not going to confirm the words of this Torah to do the law, well, then, you know, you need to be cursed and you need to be cast out. You need to be gone from here. You need to go, go somewhere else. Go, go live in Babylon. Go live, go back to Egypt. You can't live here because this is our law. And so this is the foundational idea of this law. So uh, and so when we talk about the Torah, a big question for us in, in the modern world is, what is the Torah? Because Mashiach came and said, look, Moshe did not get the Torah 100% correct. Moshe suffered to give you some of these laws because you had a hardened heart, because you were still stuck in Egypt. Because you wanted to continue to worship animals and chimeras and all this other stuff. And you wanted to make a, a molten image of a bull. And you wanted to do other things. And you wanted to party and do your pagan, you know, your heathen rituals. And he says, no, you can't do that. This is not what, what is going to be the case at all. You see? And, but Mashiach says, Moshe, in suffering to give you certificates of divorce, for instance, which we looked at last week. He did so because of the hardness of your hearts. But Mashiach says, I tell you the truth. In the beginning, it was not so. And for him to say that is, to, is not for him to say, I'm contradicting the, Moshe, the Torah of Moshe. He's saying Moshe contradicted the Torah of Yah in what he gave the people in the desert. And it's like I pointed out here. Abraham married his sister. That's just a fact. She was his half-sister. That's what scripture tells us. Was Abraham cursed? If Abraham was cursed, was Moshe cursed? Is the whole of the house of Yasharel cursed? If Abraham is cursed, right? Now, if it is a condition where you're saying, well, cursed is he that does this, and this is a condition that is not something we do, but rather is a condition that is inflicted upon, inflicted upon him automatically by Yah. A person did this, and Yah says, you're cursed. That's it. There's no discussion. There's no debate. You transgressed into that area, and so you're cursed. 
right? You crossed over into that gray area, boom, now you're cursed. Well, I think that's what's being said here. I think if you look at the context of the phrase, it's very likely that it is that you as a people are to curse the person who does these transgressions. Now, you see, if it's forward-looking and in the present sense, curse he that, uh, you know, that has a relationship with his sister or his father's daughter or his mother's daughter, right? Curse that person. You people curse him. Cast him out whatever, right? Because it's now unacceptable. And all of the provisions, I mean, you know, when you look at Moshe's Torah in Leviticus 18, you know, Yaakov, who married a woman and her sister, is denounced in that Torah. Abraham, who married his sister, is denounced in that Torah. You know, so you're talking about the fathers of the fathers here. You know, you're talking about Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They're being denounced in Moshe's Torah. Something to think about, okay? All right. But, I mean, I think, I'm hoping I'm answering your question on that, that, yeah, yeah. when we talk about uh, the average person, who keeps 100% of the commands of Moshe's Torah? No one. No one does. I mean, you, you mean, there's, you know, a big portion. I mean, 30% of Moshe's 613 mitzvot are the rules governing animal sacrifice. You can't so, do that. If I may, I'd like to just. Right, Chris? Yeah, I, I'd just like to add to that because I think it's a valid point. Um, you know, what happens if you bring that forward to our day? And in 2 Thessalonians 2.11, it says something. It says, and for this case, Yah shall send them strong delusion. Right? Now, in uh, in the next chapter of Devarim, in verse 28, it says, Yahweh shall smite you with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. Well, that's similar to the strong delusion. And why has this happened then in the end times? Is because in verse 8 it says, And then shall that Torahless one be revealed, whom Adonai Yahusha shall consume with the ruach of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So the, the, the church of today and the people of today, I mean, we've seen that the, the atrocities that are happening outside the church are exactly the same in the church as far as uh, uh, certain Torahless deeds are concerned. So we are leading lives that are bringing these curses upon us because we do not know what he has put in place. And when he's writing these commandments on these walls, when they walk through into the land that they have to possess, it's exactly the same for us right now, that Yah has put it in our hearts so that we live according to them, so that we may be blessed and not cursed. And I think, you know, this is why we're following this movement that is happening, Yah's movement that is happening throughout the world, is this Torah movement, um, which we have to live in and thank Yah that he has given us a Messiah that can relieve us of these curses that we've done in ignorance or in stupidity, if you like, <laughs> before we come to the knowledge. You know? And I think that's quite important. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very good point. And again, 
you know, I think we, we have to come back to the idea that when Isaiah says, precept by precept, line by line, precept by precept, line by line. And the idea is to, uh, even the, the word seba, which is the underlying Hebrew word for commandment, when you look closely at that word, that word means precept. So even the 10, when we, we try to think of the 10 commandments as commandments, you shall do these commandments. But when you look closely at the word underlying the commandment, it the better understanding is the precept. You shall do these precepts, these precepts, because the first commandment is, I am Yahweh Elohim. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Right? What's the do part in I am Yahweh Elohim? The do part is in the precept, and in the precept of understanding I am Yahweh Elohim, allows us to understand that there is a singular source of life, a singular source of creation, and a singular truth. A singular, there's not a secondary truth. There's not a situational truth or a, a relativist truth. There's a singular truth, and it hinges upon the, the existence of Yah. Okay. Dr. Okay. T? Yes. Dr. Excuse me, Catherine's waiting to get in. Oh, there's a bunch of people waiting to get in. Yeah, let's get them all in here. Sorry about Thank that. You. Okay. Okay, did anybody else want to talk about this portion, this section of the portion here? If you do, yes. Yeah, Andy, and go ahead. Uh, when in, in Roman, Romans, in chapter uh, seven, and it talks about. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 8 and then read verse, verse 9. But sin, taking occasion by mitzvah, wrought in me all manner of lusts, for without the Torah sin was dead. For I was alive without the Torah once. But when commandment came, sin revived and I died. One of the problems with uh, so many people rejecting what Shaul said about this is they don't have a revelation of what he said. If, uh, oh, what a wretched man that I am. I'm, you know, no good, no count sinner because I can't perform it. And then it said in Yosha, I'm a new creation. I'm a completely new creation. I'm seated within in, in the Shamaim. Now, are the two double-minded? Is one one way that's and the question. other? That's a question. Well, that's the question. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Well, but, but Dave, give us an answer on that. Well, it's a, uh, yeah. It, it is because if the Torah, if the works of the Torah perfect you, then we could go about to establish our own righteousness by our works. It says it's not. He says it's not. That belief comes by hearing and hearing by the word of you. Oh, you got to hear his voice. When belief has come, then the schoolmaster isn't the schoolmaster anymore. He says that. Now, that really rubs against a whole lot of people. Now, when, Sha when Moshiach, Yahusha, came out of the wilderness on Yom Kippur and was his, about his tradition. He read it, read, you know, he, he read a particular verse. That was a verse only a high priest could say that would fulfill it. 
after that, he didn't do that tradition anymore. He didn't do that tradition anymore like that. Now, why? why? Say, well, no, wait a minute. Why do you say he didn't do that tradition anymore? Because it doesn't show it. It doesn't show it in 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 the in the in in, in, the, in the record. And the reason he didn't do it anymore is that he was no longer under the traditions and and and, and under his parental guidance because he had entered into his full vigor and came out in power and authority and he announced on the day that that was to be announced on that day the last trumpet that dominion they couldn't handle it they departed that was a, a saying just about as bad as eat my flesh and drink my blood to them well what does that mean eat my flesh and drink my blood i submit that it means you may all prophesy, because without that, you're not going to prophesy. Without the, the living word in your mouth and the life in the blood, you're not going to, the voice of you is not going to come from your mouth. That's what I'm saying. I hope I said it correctly. I believe in us correctly. In the yeah, yeah. No, I, hear what you, I hear what you're saying. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, you know, you have to remember that we, there is a record that shows some things, which is that Paul, for instance, taught in the synagogues repeatedly. James, when they were leading the group in the in uh, the book of Acts, said, well, uh, they need to abstain from eating, you know, uh, meat sacrificed to idols and sexual impurity. And the rest... They will learn in the, the rest of the Torah. They will learn in the synagogue. So there, well, I think there was they, a, they, they, that changed after the uh, the Mount of Transfiguration in many ways. They they were corrected as they went, even after the sending, after the anointing. They progressed into maturity as the as the destruction of Yerushalayim uh, uh, approached. Now, when they when they when they were scattered all over the earth, there was a whole lot of different things and hegemony that you see. Of, of the of the Kodashim in Britain and all over is because of that uh, uh, transgress, I mean, tra progression in their realization, in the realization of who they are. Yeah, but I'm, but you know, I'm not so certain of that because look, Peter and Mark, uh, you know, in a synagogue, if you will, at Fortress Babylon in Egypt, there was a synagogue, if you will, a Kehilah. That would become the ecclesia in Antioch. The seven churches in Asia were, you know, called out assemblies. They were, you know, and the ecclesia that what we see in the Greek, the word ecclesia in Hebrew is kehilah. And kehilah were, were found in the synagogues. Now, of course, there is this denunciation of the synagogue of Satan, right? And the synagogue of Satan, I don't think, really emerged clearly until we get into the third century out of Babylon, right? Where we get this, where we get this Babylonian Talmud. But but the thing is though, is that when we talk about Mashiach uh graduating from the idea of reading the Torah portion, I'm not so sure that that was a graduation away from uh from uh his practice because it doesn't say that he was doing it in accordance with the with the law. But he went to the synagogue as was his custom. As was his custom. That's how it's referred to. And so the question is, is a synagogue uh, the same as a church house or is a synagogue a place or is a synagogue a, 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 a 
uh, Ruach assembly. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you go and you look at, when you go to Capernaum, where this supposedly happened, the, um, you know, they try to claim, oh, here's the synagogue. Well, the synagogue in Capernaum that they point to now in modern Capernaum was built in the third century by the Romans. And then they try to say, and this thing over here that they've got a dome over is Peter's house. Well, it wasn't Peter's house. It was an it was a six-sided, uh, you know, an octa- no, it was an octagon that was the uh, synagogue. And when like when we were in Corinth, we looked at the synagogue there. This is where Paul preached in Corinth, and it was uh, the only oval building in all of Corinth. It was oval; everything else was square. And so I think that the the synagogues back in those days were were roundish if you will they were roundish but uh is it the same is the synagogue the same as the church well the the churches were built when you start when you start looking at an orthodox church when they had the money to build them I mean, if you go back and you look at these churches dave you know i mean look i saw a church that was built in the fifth century in georgia one of the earliest christian buildings if you will in the world and you know it was uh 12 by 12 it's a 12 by 12 square. I mean, the, the, this little tiny thing, right? One story, 12 by 12 square. You look at the church where they claim they house the um, Ark of the Covenant in Ethiopia. It's equally small, very small building. But when you see the churches, when they had expanse built, they were modeling the churches, particularly in orthodoxy, they were modeling the churches after their understanding of the temple. So they had a holy of holies, if you will, Inside the church, there's a Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies in the Catholic Church is very strange. Like when you walk into a Catholic Church, they're shaped in the shape of a cross, right? Almost all of them. And they have right at the apex of the cross, they have the altar set up and so forth. But is there a Holy of Holies behind that? There isn't. They had, they used to have a, a like a little tabernacle set up where they could keep the Eucharist. But it was different than in orthodoxy. And the synagogues, on the other hand, were almost uh, teaching environments. So you would have you would have the, the center podium where there would be the scrolls. And this would be the Torah scroll or the Haftarah scroll to read. And then people would be sitting around. Uh, actually, no, they did, they did have seats. They, in the synagogues, uh, no, wait a minute, that's not true. In the early synagogues, they did not have seats. So they would stand around in a circle around the person who was reading. And, uh, you know, and then later, of course, the women would be segregated from the men. But initially, you know, you're talking these rooms, these places where they met were very, very small. They were very, very cramped. And people stood and they did not sit. And, you know, and it was it was a teaching instruction that was taking place. And uh, so anyway, no, I hear what you're saying about I hear what you're saying about the Torah. But I do think, when we look at the Torah now, the foundation of Western law is predicated upon Moshe's, the precepts of Moshe's Torah. I mean, it is. For instance, in the state of Washington, you'll find a statute concerning moving someone's landmarks. You move the landmark in real estate, I believe it's a criminal act to do that, to move a, to move a landmark. And you'll see other actions that are there's many, many laws that are consistent with Moshe's Torah. Our bankruptcy code was predicated on the sabbatical year. For years and years, it wasn't changed until 2004. 
we had a seven-year lap in the bankruptcy law. And there's many other foundational ideas that are in, in the legal system of the whole world predicated upon Moshe's Torah. And I do think that it, when, when we look at the Torah, it's not just an instruction because to say, if, see, if we take if we take Paul at its most extreme interpretation, which is that, oh, we were under the schoolmaster and now we're not under the schoolmaster anymore. Now we have Christian liberty to do whatever we want. And Christian liberty has been preached by Martin Luther and others that have asked the question, should we sin that grace might abound? And Paul says four times in the book of Romans, no. Martin Luther said, yes. And wasn't just Martin Luther. There were leaders in the, in the Eastern Orthodox community that said yes. There were leaders in the Jewish community, like Sabati Tzvi and the Jacobites. They said yes to the same question. Yes, we should sin that grace would abound more. And so the permission to, uh, to uh, create workers of iniquity inside the faith was given. And Mashiach says, Oh, we've cast out demons in your name and healed in your name and done other wondrous works. And he says, get away from me. I do not know you, you workers of iniquity, pa'al avon, which is a phrase that is a term of art used by David in the Psalms, I think five times, pa'al avon. And what is a worker of iniquity? Well, John tells us that sin is the transgression of the Torah. Worker of iniquity is someone who transgresses the Torah. So for us, the larger question is, what is the Torah? What is the Torah? And what commands are applicable to us in our life? And what I'm saying to you is that I think it's a kind of a narrow understanding. But we have to understand the precept of the Torah command, not so much the letter. And so this Paul talks about this too, the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, the precept of the law, and not the letter of the law. And so in doing so, for instance, when you see a lot of the references to slaves that are made continuously throughout Moshe's Torah, whether you're talking about a bond servant, or you're talking about the stranger that is chattel property that can be inherited by children, which is directly referenced in Moshe's Torah, the world revolted against that idea. You know, William Wilberforce argued for 25 years in Parliament that slavery should end. And, you know, when you go back and you read the writings of Jean Baudin in his six essays on the Commonwealth, he talks about slaves being a critical part of the family. Well, if we look at the underlying precept and say, well, it's not a slave, but rather an employee in the modern world, that's a little bit different, isn't it? An employee... What's the difference between a slave and an employee? A slave, I had to house and feed. An employee, I don't. Here's some money. You're on your own. Go get your own housing and your own food. Right? Said the guy paying minimum wage. Right? We could we could midrash this all day. One thing about the assembly at Philadelphia, when it talks about the synagogue. Right. Well, it says uh, they thought they were of the synagogue of who? They would I would say that was the body of the last Adam Yahusha, but they weren't. They were of the synagogue of Satan, which is the body of the last, the first Adam. They were deceived in that perception. They were presumptuous, and they were made to sit where at the feet 
of the Mashiach. His foot, earth is his footstool. They were made to sit at his footstool and learn what they learn the correction. They weren't. They, they, I say that a, a high place on the corners of the uh, the streets of the city is a is a house that is hewn with men's hands. It's not that first Adam or the last. It's the, hewn with man's hands. And sure, there's some record in it, but does the fruit remain? I'm going to go now because this could be on and on. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Shabbat Shalom. Okay. All right, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, uh, I, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, midrashing, you know. I'm just saying. Dr. P? Yes. I believe that the word there should be congregation because even in Judaism, you have levels of different beliefs as to ultra-Orthodox, Orthodox, Orthodox uh, rabbinical, uh, um, traditional. It depends on what they call it. A synagogue, you know, a synagogue is, well, it's like the way of the streets. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. A temple, you have to be careful because there's only one temple, so you know that that's not a place where you want to be. In Judaism, I'm talking about in Judaism. No, that's an extremely important point because when we look at, because you're right, I mean, when we talk about the temple, the temple is a place where Yah has placed his name, right? This is where Yah has placed his name. And when, with the temple, you have the, you, you did have the ability to do sacrifice. But once the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there is no place for animal sacrifice. And in my opinion, that was taken away because Yah had told the world with, with the sacrifice of Mashiach, the bloodletting of Mashiach, there is no more bloodletting. When Mashiach said on the cross, it is finished, he was talking about all of the animal sacrifice coming to an end. It was done. It was finished. It was over. There is no more blood atonement for the sins of mankind because one blood was shed one time for the sins of mankind, and that was it. It was over. It was finished. And so, yeah, so what you often see, for instance, in uh, in Israel, you see a, a number of the so-called synagogues being called kehilah, right, which is another word in the Greek would be ecclesia, uh, meaning church, right? Ecclesia meaning church, kehilah meaning the same thing or congregation, or as we put it in the, in the sefer, the called out assembly, the called out assembly, the ecclesia. And the Kehilah. However, when you look at at that statement on the Church of Philadelphia, they use the word in the Greek is synagogo. That's the Greek word that appears there. So it's not a question. It's not something that we can retranslate because the word synagogo is the word that actually appears in the text. And uh, so this is why it says synagogue uh, in the Sefer. And so, uh, you know, with all that being said, I think that, you know, when we look at this idea of, you know, look what Stephen said to them, right? And in his last words, you're always trying to build a house for Yah. 
But where will you house me, says Yahweh? I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Where will you house me? Because the temple is in our hearts, right? The temple is in our hearts. And we are a temple built of living stones, stones cut without uh, tools, right? Made without hands. And so this is all this is all a big part of it too. But again, I caution you, and I want to I want to try to be as I want to try to be as uh, as best as I can on this understanding the Torah because this is a Torah portion study. We've been doing this now for a long time, reading the Torah portion. We're about to wrap up the Torah portion for this year, and it's important for us. We you know it, it is the immature believer, in my opinion that reads Moshe's Torah and says, well, I'm going to go out and do all of that. And they're going to go out and do the 613 mitzvot. And they start sacrificing sheep in their backyard. And they start, you know, cutting the heads off chickens, you know, for tabernacles and so on and so forth. And this is like, no, it's not right. The If you're going, if you're going to slaughter a sheep, well, slaughter a sheep, but do not make it an animal sacrifice consistent with the feast days, even though, when you look at Leviticus 23, you have nonstop, every single feast is accompanied with an animal sacrifice. You shall bring an unblemished bull. You shall bring an unblemished lamb. You shall bring two birds. You shall do this. They're all accompanied with an animal sacrifice. How do you, what do you make of that in the modern world? If the animal sacrifice is gone, then a large portion of Moshe's Torah has been overturned by the hand of Yah himself. Am I wrong about this? And if that's the case, then why would we read Moshe's Torah? We read Moshe's Torah because it is the foundation of the law in the modern world. And it is part and parcel of the true Torah. What does Mashiach say? Not one yod, not one tittle shall be removed until all is fulfilled. Why did he say that? Well, there's more to the Torah than merely Moshe's statement. Remember, Moshe was a sinner. I had this argument on Thursday night. Somebody wrote me on when we did the show on Paul. Somebody made a comment in there. Well, you just don't understand that Paul was the one that when, you know, when after Mashiach's death, it was Paul who walked up to Peter and said, hey, put your net on the other side. It was Paul who did. I was like, are you out of your mind? That's not what the scripture says at all, but you have people who revere Paul like Paul was the one who died on the cross for you. Like Paul was the one who rose from the grave. Like Paul was the one who ascended. I'm sorry, he wasn't. Paul, like Moshe, like David, was a sinner. All three were murderers. All three. All three were murderers. And to sit here and say that Moshe was sinless is simply not true. To say that Paul was sinless is not true. To say that Mary was sinless, why did she need a redeemer in the Magnificat? My soul magnifies Yahweh, right? Why does she say, I need a savior if she was sinless? So with these kinds of questions, we get a kind of perspective on the Torah. And the perspective on the Torah is, as Isaiah said, we are to learn these things precept by precept, line by line. Understand the underlying precept that goes into the command 
so that you live by the spirit of the law, not by the letter of the law. And in this spiritual training, so Paul says, well, we had we had the Torah as a teacher, but now we've graduated from this teaching. Well, did Paul graduate or did everybody in Corinth graduate? Who graduated, right? When you talk about the average congregation in the average Christian church, they haven't even read all of the New Testament, let alone the Bible. Who graduated? Graduated from what? Right? So when we look at these kinds of things, we look at the Torah, I want to, you know, when we teach like at the 10 Devarim class on Sefer Academy, those of you that are in the class know what I'm talking about. We're on class 53 and we haven't yet finished the Eighth Commandment. And the reason it's so expensive is because there are many, many, many nuances to the commandments of Yah. For instance, look, let me give you an example. Last week, we looked at the idea of usury in comparison with the command, the precept, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. So is usury theft? Just a question. Usury is a part of the modern world. It's in, it's in all of our lives, whether it's on your credit card, or your debit card, or your mortgage, whatever, or your, your, the late fee that's charged on your electric bill, or the fee that's added to your property tax, is usury theft? Is usury disapproved by scripture? And the answer is yes and no. What about when you pay off a bill and the, the creditor retains your pledge is that theft these are questions right so when we look at the idea of what is the precept handwritten by yah the precept handwritten by yah is very simple thou shalt not steal its application is going to be broadcast to us more with greater detail in how it worked out in the house of yasharel while they were journeying in the wilderness that's what we're getting. So it's up to us to understand these precepts. I mean, I'm going to ask you guys. The precept says, cursed is the man who sleeps with a beast. Is that a precept that we should understand? Or is that a precept we should ignore? Is that a precept from which we've graduated? We don't have to worry about that precept anymore? It's okay to sleep with a beast now? No, that's in, that's inside us. We know better. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you can you can see that these kinds of concepts are these kinds of concepts are here. And, you know, I've I've had people tell me, well, the Torah's been poured inside my heart, sign of heart, mind, and soul. Well, they're trying to serve me, you know, sausage for you know, pork sausage for breakfast. I'm like, well, you know, Isaiah said, cursed is the man who eats this wine and the mouse. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, well, does that have any application anymore? Or is Isaiah written off the table? Right. So, you know, I think there is, I think it's easy for us to take the context of Paul in his writing when he's writing specifically to a group of people who have a specific understanding that, and he's writing one cryptic letter to them, having taught with them for a year based upon what they understood, and all of a sudden us taking that and giving it mass application in our world. 
and we give it mass application. And the thing that bothers me so much is that we look at the mass application of Paul, the way it's been taught from the Dallas Theological Seminary, that the doctrine, the central doctrine of the Christian church in, in modernity is do what thou wilt. Do what thou wilt. No one wants to talk about it. The Catholic Church was in your face with indulgences. Pay us and you can commit any sin you want to commit. You want to, you know, you want to kill your neighbor and rape his wife? Well, that's going to be a hundred pieces of gold, and then you're forgiven. Go ahead and go for it. Right? Indulgences. The indulgence has transformed itself now into a new connotation. What's the indulgence now? You tithe on a contract to our church and every Sunday I'll tell you that everything you did last week was forgiven. When you were ripping off the guy who sits across the aisle from you on, on the contract that you had when you sued him, when you were when you were making up a story about the pastor having an affair when he wasn't having an affair, when you were counseling women how to divorce their husbands using a new a shrewd strategy inside the women's study session, right? When you were raising up your false idols while you were voting for abortion, all those things, right? Do what thou wilt. And then as long as you're paying your tithe, well, I'll tell you you're forgiven this weekend. You're, you're, you just nail those right up to the cross. Next week, go out and commit as many sins as you want. And we'll nail them up the cross this week too, right? And then look where we are. Look at the world. Look at the world. We have sown and now we reap. Didn't that really start? Those indulgences start with the sacrifice. You know, like, like it seems like that instituted it. When Yah spoke from the mountain, he didn't say anything about that. He didn't say anything about all of those other things. And it seems like he didn't even say anything about the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant until after Moses came back down and broke them and then went back up, you know? Yeah, yeah that's that's true. I mean, when you talk, that's very true, John, because we talk about that. You know, it was that golden, that golden bull that they built that changed everything. Arguably, there wasn't going to be the 613 mitzvot. And I think when you look at the animal sacrifice, I think Moshe said, okay, look, these people are down here worshiping the bull. And in Egypt, they not only worship the bull, but they worship the sheep, the goats. They worship the goat, the baphomet. They worship the bull. You know, they worship birds, right? Uh, they worship hyenas. They worship jackals. They worship all of these things. And so Moshe says, okay, you're going to worship all this stuff? Fine. Then here's what the Torah is. You kill one in the morning, you kill one at noon, and you kill one at the evening, and you have one on the fire all day long. Right. Right? I mean, and this is, you know, he was trying to kill the animal worship in the Egyptian that remained in the house of Yasharel. But you're right. I mean, it's Jeremiah 7, 21 that says, point blank, you want to go and kill a bull and have a sacrifice? Go kill the bull, eat the flesh. I never commanded you to do that when I brought you out of Mitzrayim. Right. Instead, I said, obey my voice and I will be your Elohim and you will be my people. 
And when you look at this obey my voice idea, what is he saying? Do the right thing. Don't do the wrong thing and then sacrifice a bull because you did the wrong thing. Don't do the wrong thing and then pay an indulgence because you did the wrong thing. Don't do a wrong thing and then pay the tithe so you can be forgiven. Why do you have to ask forgiveness? Why don't you just try doing the right thing? Right? And this exactly. is so hard for Yasharel to understand. Why don't you just try doing the right thing? Right? And it just listen to what I said. And it goes back to the buildings too. You know, with the temple, David wanted to build the temple. Yah never told him to build the temple. Yeah. You know, but then it's like Yah said, okay, if you want to build a temple, then your son can do it. But it doesn't seem like it was part of his original plan. No. You know, and when you look at that in terms of, okay, let's don't build the temple because his original plan was, I want to be housed in a tent. I want my tabernacle in a tent. And the tent was given with particularity because there was an interface between Yah through all of those skins into the Ark of the Covenant. There was, and, and when you move that Ark of the Covenant into a temple, it became a completely different thing. And by the time you get to the second temple, there's no Ark of the Covenant in there. There's no Ark of the Covenant. So what would they right. do? Oh, we can't go past the veil because the Ark of the Covenant's in there. No, there's no Ark of the Covenant in there. So you can go past the veil. And when they realize no Ark of the Covenant, we can go past the veil. Well, that means we didn't really have to have a Levite as the priest. We could have somebody else as the priest because anybody can go past the veil because there's no Ark of the Covenant there. Next thing you know, you got Edomites pretending to be priests walking past the, past the veil into the Ark of the Covenant. Right. Well, what happened with Samuel when Eli and his sons were killed and then Samuel takes over? I, I don't believe Samuel was even a part of the house of Levi or what am, am right. I wrong? No, no, I think that's right. And it says I'm it says I'm gonna cut you off. It tells Eli, I'm gonna cut you off and your sons and your family, and you're not gonna have you're not gonna represent me anymore. I'm gonna put somebody else in, and he puts Samuel in who's not even of the house of Levi or Aaron. Yeah, and when and when you get to Ezra and he comes back from Babylon. He can't find Levi. He can't find priests. Who are the priests? They, they had a really difficult time finding the bloodline. And what bloodline he did find, they had all intermarried. Right. And so now this is why, I mean, I just think a lot of this bogus story that we hear at Israel, I can trace my bloodline back to Aaron. In your imagination, you can. Right. But otherwise, it just doesn't exist, you know. And so this is why, this is why in, in a lot of this stuff, and again, the you know i do think it's incumbent upon the believer to read all of scripture and to understand what's being said and why it's being said and remember that the old yes. testament is given to us as an example yah picked this people as his chosen people and ultimately divorced them and destroyed them and scattered them throughout the whole earth as a reproach and a hissing and there is a reason why he did that. And it comes down to the same thing over and over and over again. Obey my voice, I will be your Elohim. Disobey right. my voice, and I will cast you out. And simple from the sim very simple from the beginning, right? He gave he gave he said these things and he said no more, right? From from the mountain. And then Moses came down and they were already had the golden calf and they were already doing, doing their thing and they already messed it up. 
So it seems like at that beginning, Yah intended, he wanted to have a nation of priests, right? He wanted to directly be their lawgiver. He wanted to directly be their king. None of this separation or mediators or anything like that. But they were all like, oh, don't let him talk to us again. We won't survive it, you know? So Yah's like, okay, if you can't handle it, then I'll give you this, this priest system and, and we'll do it. Do it how you can handle it. But it all goes back to they couldn't handle that Yah wanted to be one-on-one -on -one with them. He wanted to be amongst them. And they would have lived and they would have flourished, but they couldn't handle it. They wanted to do their own thing. So then we get a chain of doing your own thing for the rest of the thousands of years until now. Yeah, but of course, the beauty of it is with Mashiach, we see an example of Yasharel with the very first person to come to faith in Mashiach, which is who? Who's the very first person to come to faith in Mashiach? Woman at the, the woman, well. It's yeah. a woman at the well, right? And what happens with her? Mashiach looks at her and says, oh, I'm going to give you water that from which you will never thirst again. She says, well, give me some of this water. He says, okay, go get your husband. Well, sir, I'm not married. Well, that's correct. You've been married five times, and the man you're living with is not your husband. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet, right? Who is he talking to? He's talking to Yasharel. That's who he's talking right. to. He's talking to Yasharel. And he's saying, you who have played the whore, and you've gone and you've married five other Elohim. You've married Baal. You've married Molech. You know, you've married Dagon, you've married, you know, Mithras, you've married Isis, you've married all of these other gods. And yet here I am telling you, I will give you water of living water from which you will never thirst again. Sir, I half of those other husbands were in the name of Yah, you know? Yeah. 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 Just like the golden calf was in the name of Yah, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, here it is, you know? And so this is why. This kind of uh, this teaching of, of of Yah is a very very important teaching. Now, without the writings of Moshe, we would not have the foundation of Western law. Now, right. when you go back to you know you brought up Shemuel, you go back to Shemuel. At that time, every man lived under his own law. That's what it says at the end of Judges. Every man lived under his own law. But Yah said to Samuel. Samuel, they have not rejected you in picking a king. They have rejected me. Right? And the reason being is because Yah gave us a very simple formula for living life. It's very simple. These are my commands. Do them and live in them. And it's a very simple rhythm of life. It's a simple thing in life. It's not a burden that is full of religious controls. You know, when you go and you look at the foundation of Christianity, the Christian church is beginning with the Council of Nicaea, then the Council of Constantinople, one and two, you know, all these various, these seven councils that created the church. They're all about controlling people. And by the time you get through the first couple of councils, you can see that they were diametrically opposed to the first five commands of the commandments. They vitiated the first five commands of the commandments. They abolished the Sabbath. They approved of engraved images. You know, they asserted the church above Yah. 
They changed his name from Yah over the Lord. You know, I mean, they, they did a lot of things right off the bat that were a direct attack on the commandments in order to supplant the Ten Commandments of Yah with the ordinances of the church for purposes of control. Because I do not believe that Yah has ever called us into guilt. You know, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, right? The Catholic teaching, my guilt, my guilt, my maximum guilt, right? I don't think Yah has ever called us into guilt. He calls us into judgment. He calls us into chastening. But he calls us into a way of life that's quite simple. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. There's no tattoos required. There's no barbed wire around your leg required. There's no splitting your head open with a sword required. There's no beating yourself over back with a chain required. None of that stuff is required. None of it. It's a simple confession of faith and understanding in your heart and a belief and allowing the Ruach HaKodesh to live in your life and stop being guilty. You know, his commandments are love, right? I mean, this is love. Keep my commandments. You know, they're all about love. You know, it's not about guilt. It's not it's about so true. And, any and of those things. It's all about love and it's all about life. Keep these yes. commandments and live in them. And what does that mean? That means that when you do them, you will have life and life more abundantly. Yeah. We're not talking about, you know, cash, because cash is not life more abundantly. No. You know what life more abundantly is? Relationships. Right? Isn't it? Isn't it about relationships? Really? Like oh, yeah. relationship with Yah and really your relationship with other people. Right? Okay. Dr. P, can we also say that this is about tapping the rock and hitting the rock and not listening to what Yah says, what Moses did, and an example for us to see the judgment of it? Like you're saying, our heart? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, Mary. I mean, when you look at that, uh, you know, Moshe, there's a couple of things that Moshe did. I mean, he hit the rock when Yah told him to speak to the rock, and he put the serpent on a stick when he was told to put a seraph on a banner. And when I think about that particular thing, most people don't teach that that was an act of disobedience, but I think it was because when Yah told him to put a seraph on a banner, he was showing him life. And he was showing him life really in the angels of the sanctification and the angels of the presence. And instead, Moshe put the symbol of his authority, the serpent, on a stick, right? Remember how he gained authority over the Egyptians? How, why would these people listen to me? Yah said, take your staff, put it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And he picked up the serpent by the tail and it became a staff. That's very clear. Nakash. And what he built was something called the Nakushtan, which Hezekiah eventually had to tear it down because it was being worshipped. Well, Hezekiah can take it down all day long. It's worshipped today in the United States. It's worshipped today in the UK. It's worshipped in Europe. Go to the hospital. Oh, I'm, I have to run over to the doctor. Why? Because there's a serpent on a stick right out there in front of that hospital. When the ambulance comes to pick up me, there's a picture of the serpent on the stick on the side of the ambulance. Right? It's still Asclepius. It's still worshipped to this very day. And Moshe was told not to do it. He was told to put a seraph on the banner, and he put the serpent on the stick. 
so yeah, there is, and you do see this, and but it's not just Moshe's disobedience, Mary, that is called into, into the into the keeping here. It's all of the house of Yasharel. Yeah, it's all of our hearts. It's listening. And that's and the grace that you shared with us last week is always there for us. He wants so our relationship. And I think that that is such a big sign of what happened to Moshe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you're right about that. Okay. Uh, can, we, can we come back to the Torah portion, please? Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Because uh, we have the curses, right? Yes. And, uh, okay, we are all sinners. So how, what is the difference between someone who is cursed and someone who is sin, sinner? Because um, looking at the, uh, for example, Lot, not only, not only uh, Abraham, but Lot too, because Lot was sleeping with his children, woman. And one of them, uh, the, the Ruth coming from one of them. So I don't see the, uh, I don't know how to understand that curses. Yeah, I mean, that's a, another very good point, Violetta, because he was married to, of course, the Midianite woman and the Cushite woman, right? And so, and, and he was accused by Aharon and his wife, Miriam. Well, you were married to a Cushite woman, right? And so no, I, I'm talking about I'm talking about Lot. I'm talking about Lot. And when he was out from his city, he was sleeping with his daughters. And one Ruth coming from one of the line of his daughters. And according to curses, the daughter is supposed to be cursed. Yeah. So how that line up with the curses and blessings, I don't understand. Yeah, I know. I know. And when you see that, it is a question, isn't it? It's a question. Well, how does, how can, you know, these curses that come on, can people live under these curses? And when you see, you know, and this is something else that Paul talked about too, because he's trying to tell us, look, when you look at this, this law of sin and death, these curses, some of these curses are irrational and they they don't add up. They don't add up because we're not reading the context of the Torah. The context of the Torah was a set of laws given to a people in the wilderness, a rebellious people in the wilderness, a stiff-necked people in the wilderness, all of whom would die in the wilderness, but two. They would die in the wilderness because of their stiff-neckedness, because they could not get Egypt out of them. And so most of us, you know, there's a portion in Jeremiah that says you'll no longer talk about the exodus out of Egypt, but you'll be talking about the new exodus that Yah is going to do, right? Jeremiah talks about this, that, that the old will be torn down and that the new will be planted anew. And even Isaiah 61 is about this, plants of righteousness, right? You'll be given a joy of, of, for, for mourning, you know, and, and, and a garment of praise, right? And all of these things are here showing that there is a new world that is emerging. But the but the new world that emerges is not free of the precepts of Moshe. And that's why, Violetta, when you're asking about this question, how can this possibly add up when Moshe himself was guilty of, of being cursed? And what does it mean to be cursed? 
How about like Rachel? She has blessing and curses because remember when she took the idols from her father and they said, curse be that person. And they agreed. Yep. That's a big, that is a big deal because she tries to claim I took the teraphim so that they wouldn't speak to you and tell you where we were. But the truth is, is that she believed the teraphim were capable of speaking. And she, and she retained, and she took all of those idols. And I'll tell you, I do think that there were cursings that did come upon her because she retained those teraphim and she retained those teraphim when, what did Yaakov say when Laban confronted them? Let whoever took those teraphim die. That's what he said. You remember this? Let whoever took those teraphim die. Yep. They die. agreed. Yeah, he agreed. And, and not that he knew that, that Rachel had those teraphim. And did she ever tell Yaakov that she had retained the teraphim? And, you know, did she retain those after them or were they buried? I think Yashar records that they got rid of the teraphim later. But the fact that she had retained those idols, that, that she had carried those idols with her, demons really is what they were, she was unable to bear a child. And she, now, what, 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 you know, John and Barr and I have talked about this pretty extensively. You're talking about Sarah, whether you're talking about Rachel, whether you're talking about the mother of Samuel, uh, you know, you're talking about women or, or Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. These were all women who were barren, who could not have children. And in the case of Sarah, she was well past ever having a child. So was Elizabeth, well past ever having a child. And yet in every one of those instances, there was a miracle that was brought to bear that these women would give birth. And Raquel was very, very impatient. I'm not going to sit here and wait until I'm 80 years old, like Sarah did, uh, waiting for Yah to give me a child. Give me a child. And if you're not going to give me a child, well, then take my maid and make her your concubine. Right? But Yah did intend to give her a child in due time to give her Yosef. And of course, look at the children of all of these women, whether it's John the Baptist, whether it's Yosef, whether it's Samuel, whether it's Yitzhak. In all of these cases, these were miraculous births that were engineered in the hands of Yah and Yah alone. But you're right. And Raquel ends up dying in childbirth. And, you know, so these are things that are uh, that are worthy of consideration. What is it to be cursed? When you read Deuteronomy 28, which we will, here we are. Let's let's do these. Let's do these blessings and cursings, Angelo. Let's get into them so we can read them and see what it means to be blessed and what it means to be cursed. Now, before we start this, um, Elizabeth, you wanted to add something real quickly? Yes. Um, we're talking about the uh, cursed be he that sets light by his father and mother. So I did some research, and what it's talking about, um, I believe, is dishonoring, uh, sliding. Um, it's that phrase is also used in Ezekiel twenty-two seven, um, and it it fits it fits in with prophets um, referencing, you know, as far as meanings, finding, discovering meanings. Um, Hold on just one second. So, let me go back Ezekiel there. 22.7. Ezekiel 22.7. Yeah. In, in you have they set light by father and mother. In the midst of you have they dealt by oppression with the stranger. In you have they vexed the fatherless and the widow. 
Yeah, this yeah. is this tour portion, right? Yes. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I, I, from the research and from just the scriptures around it, I feel like it, it really, it does mean to dishonor, to, to, um, uh, what did I, what did I say earlier? I forgot. Um, to undervalue, to slight, to treat as if there's no importance, to despise. Ah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. so, interesting interesting okay so. we're going to get into deuteronomy 28 a difficult chapter to be sure but i want you to recognize a couple of things when we get into this chapter number one this chapter is true today it's not false it's true it's true today and these curses in Deut deuteronomy 28 did come upon yasharel they came upon Yasharel at the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. And this is recorded in scripture that when Zedekiah, when a woman comes to Zedekiah and says, we've eaten my son and the woman that, that we, that I shared my son with, we were going to share her son and she's run off and we can't find him. Only then did Zedekiah, only then did this foolish, arrogant man realize that the curses of Yah were upon all of Yasharel. And then you know what he did? You know what he did? He got him and his seven sons together and deserted Yerushalayim and ran off to try to escape what he had brought to all of the house of Yasharel, which was complete destruction. You know how many times Jeremiah told him, stop doing that? And every time Jeremiah would go to him and say, you're making a big mistake. You need to stop. You need to stop. You need to negotiate with Nebuchadnezzar. You need to stop. You're making a huge mistake. And Zedekiah burns his words in the fireplace. He says, take that guy out of here and throw him into the septic tank. I don't want to hear from him anymore. He threw him into a, into a cistern that was full of muck. He was up to his knees in muck. Because Jeremiah was telling him, you are cursed. You are cursed. You are cursed. You are cursed. And I can tell you, I have said the same thing to the current president. He is cursed. He doesn't know he's cursed, but he is bringing these curses on America right now. Right now. Right this very minute. And is he listening? Is he listening to Jeremiah speak it out to him? Stop. No chance. Angelo, let's hit these, let's hit these uh blessings and cursings. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Right. Yeah, sorry about that. I was trying to multitask, which is not working for me. Okay. Um, going into this also with all, all the commentary, I just wanted to briefly share, if I could, for 2 Timothy 3.16, which really just clears up everything when people are talking about Paul. Because he's certainly not talking about Christian scripture, if you will, that had not yet been uh, put to pen. It says, all scripture is given by the Ruach Yahweh and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of Yah may be perfect as in complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so here we are, all scripture. And so how would I know what's wrong and right? How would I know what's clean and unclean? What's an abomination to him? I come into the study of the Torah. 
And it's all there. I didn't know any of that. I didn't realize that this stuff, you know, food, for instance. I mean, you know, where I grew up, Italians, we feasted on everything that was an abomination and all the festivals and the policies and all that. I knew not anything about that. But when he brought me into the name and the Shabbat, immediately, that's the next thing that happened. I didn't go after it came to me, but there it was in Scripture. And so to me, there's no confusion about it. The Spirit allows us, gives us the power and the strength. It's cherished in our hearts. Now we have the ability to do what? We're establishing the law. We're not abolishing it. We're able to accomplish it in this new spirit, this strength. So just wanted to share that anyway. Cherish the word. Okay. We're ready for the reading? We're ready. All right. Thank you. And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of Yahweh Eloheka, to guard him to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, Yahweh Eloheka will set you on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you. If you shall hearken unto the voice of Yahweh Eloheka, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of the ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your... Is that kind, kine? What is it? Kind. Kind, okay, yeah. And the flocks of your sheep, Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Yahweh shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven days. Yahweh shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouses and in all that you set your hand unto, and he shall bless you in the land which Yahweh Elohim gives you. Yahweh shall establish you a holy people unto himself, as he has sworn seven oaths unto you. If you'll guard the commandments of Yahweh Eloheka and walk in his ways, and all people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of Yahweh, and they shall be afraid of you. Yahweh shall make you plenteous in goods, in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground in the land which Yahweh swore seven oaths unto your fathers to give you. Yahweh shall open up unto you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain unto your land in its season, and to bless at all the work of your hands, and you shall lend unto many nations, and you shall not borrow. And Yahweh shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only, and above only, and you shall not be beneath. If that you hearken unto the commandments of Yahweh Eloheka, which I command you this day to guard and to do them, and you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other Elohim to serve them. Boom. Now when you see this, look at this. I wanted to, I want to point this out here. And all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of Yahweh, and they shall be afraid of you. Can you share the uh, scripture, Dr. P, please? Oh, they're not being shared. No. Uh, sorry about that. My mistake. So here it is, verse 10, 28, 10. 
And all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of Yahweh, and they shall be afraid of you. Not called by the name of the Lord, but called by the name of Yahweh. And they shall be afraid of you. And it is the children of Yah Sharel that are called by the name of Yahweh. Yah Sharel are called by the name of Yahweh. If my people who are called by my name, then all of these things will happen. Okay. You ready, Angela? You ready to, to break into the curses? Yes. Verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of Yahweh Eloheka, to guard to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket in your store. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body. The fruit of your lamb, the increase of your kind, and the flocks of your sheep. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Yahweh shall send upon you cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand unto do for you, excuse me, for to do, until you be destroyed, and until you perish quickly, because of the wickedness of your doings, whereby you have forsaken me. Yahweh shall make the pestilence cleave unto you until he has consumed you from off the land where you go to possess it. Yahweh shall smite you with a consumption and with a fever, and with an inflammation, and with an extreme burning, and with a sword, and with blasting, and with mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. And your heaven that is over your head shall be brass, and the earth that is under you shall be iron. Yahweh shall make the rain of your land powder and dust, from heaven shall it come down upon you until you be destroyed. Yahweh shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And your carcass shall be meat unto all fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth. And no man shall fray them away. Yahweh will smite you with the botch of Mitzrayim and with the tumors, and with the scab, and with the itch, whereof you cannot be healed. Yahweh shall smite you with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind gropes in darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save you. You shall betroth a woman, and another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, and you shall not dwell therein. You shall plant a vineyard, and shall not gather the grapes thereof. Your ox shall be slain before your eyes. You shall not eat thereof. Your ass shall be violently taken away from before your face, and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given unto your enemies, and you shall have none to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given unto another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in your hand. The fruit of your land and all your labors shall a nation which you know eat up, not eat up, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed always, so that you shall be mad for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. 
Yahweh shall smite you in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of your foot unto the top of your head. Yahweh shall bring you and your king, which you set shall set over you, unto a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. There shall you serve other Elohim, wood and stone. You shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations, whither Yahweh shall lead you. You shall carry much seed out into the field, and shall gather but little in. For the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them. But shall neither drink of the vine, nor gather the grapes. For the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your coasts. But you shall not anoint yourself with the oil. For your olive shall cast its fruit. You shall beget sons and daughters, but you shall not enjoy them. For they shall go into captivity. All your trees and fruit of your land shall the locusts consume. Stranger that is in you shall get up above you very high, and you shall come down very low. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you, and shall pursue you, overtake you, till you be destroyed. Because you hearkened not unto the voice of Yahweh Eloheka, to guard his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. They shall be upon you for a sign and for a wonder, and upon your seed forever, because you serve not Yahweh Eloheka with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shall you serve your enemies, which Yahweh shall send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. Yahweh shall bring a nation against you from far, from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. He shall eat the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your land until you be destroyed, which also shall not leave you either grain, wine, or oil, or the increase of your kind or flocks of your sheep until he has destroyed you. And he shall besiege you in all your gates until your high and fenced walls come down, wherein you trusted throughout all your land. And he shall besiege you in all your gates throughout all your land, which Yahweh has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your own sons and of your daughters, which Yahweh has given you in the siege and in the straightness wherewith your enemies shall distress you, so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil towards his brother and toward the woman of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave, so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and in the straightness wherewith your enemies shall distress you in all your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you, which would not have ventured to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness. Her eyes shall be evil toward the man of her bosom, and toward her son, and toward her daughter, and toward her young ones to come out from beneath her feet, and toward her children, which she shall bear. For she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness wherewith 
wherewith your enemies shall distress you in your gates. If you will not guard to do all the words of this Torah that are written in this Sefer, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, Et Yahweh Eloheka, then Yahweh will make your plagues wonderful and at the plagues of your seed, even great plagues and of long continuance and sore sickness and of long and excuse me and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon you at all the diseases of Mitzrayim, which you were afraid of, and they shall cleave unto you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the sepher of this Torah, then will Yahweh bring upon you until you be destroyed. And ye shall be left few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because you would not obey the voice of Yahweh Eloheka. And it shall come to pass that as Yahweh rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so Yahweh will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And ye shall be plucked from off the land whether you go to possess it. And Yahweh shall scatter you among all people from one end of the earth even unto the other. And there you shall serve other Elohim, which neither you nor your fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shall you find no ease, neither shall the sole of your foot have rest. And Yahweh shall give you there a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind, and your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night, and shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, Would to Elohim it was evening. And that evening you shall say, Would to Elohim it were morning. For the fear of your heart wherewith you shall fear, and for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. And Yahweh shall bring you into Mitzrayim again with ships, by the way whereof I spoke unto you. You shall see it no more again, and there you shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Wow. Dr. P, yeah. there are a couple of people that were knocked out if you could put them back in. Uh, well, there you go. Blessing and the cursing. And you can see this cursing, of, you know, in my, you know, I mean, I'll just tell you, quite frankly, I have great fear of these, of these curses. You know, just be, I don't want to see these curses come on anybody. But we, yet we see these curses coming upon us as we speak, right? All these curses shall come upon you. Curse you are in the city and in the field. You know, I saw a video this morning, last night, uh, about the city of San Jose, California. This is where Silicon Valley is, right? Where all the people who work in the tech industry live. And the whole downtown is closed. Every building is closed. Every shop is gone. Every retailer has left. Every store, every restaurant, they're all closed. They're all closed because of the lawlessness that has come upon that city. Cursed they are in the city. Well, what about in the field? How about the basket in the store? How about the fact that we've got this major drought going on in the middle of the country? We've had, you know, a food processing plant after food processing plant blown up, right? 
And now they're talking about empty shelves and, and a supply chain that's broken. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your land and the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. All of this stuff is coming down with curses. They're being injected with mRNA vaxes. Cursed shall you be when you come in and go out. Yahweh shall send upon you cursing, vexation, rebuke, and everything you set your hand to do. Everything we are doing right now is cursed. All of our machinations are failing. Our economy is failing. Our society is failing. Our culture is failing. Our families are failing. Our economics are failing. Our foreign policy is failing. It's all failing. Why? Because of the wickedness of our doings and because we have forsaken Yah. So now a pestilence will cleave unto us. We'll be smited with consumption and with a fever and with inflammation and extreme burning and the sword and blasting and mildew. All of these things are coming. And the heaven that's over your head shall be brass. You know, I have to tell you, Texas, I think, has been over 100 degrees for three months now. Every day, well over 100 degrees. Yahweh shall make the rain of your land powder and dust. Yeah, you, know, you remember the Dust Bowl that happened in the 1930s to the farmers in Oklahoma, the Dust Bowl? Don't think that that's not coming again. Yahweh shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies. Right? You go out one way, we'll flee seven ways. Look at how we left Afghanistan. Look at how we left Sudan. Look at how we're leaving Africa. I mean, here it comes, right? And so when we see all these curses coming here, we think in America that it can't happen to us. Oh, it can never happen to us. Well, everybody else that's ever happened to also thought that it could never happen to them. But it did happen to them. And it did happen to them. And it always happens because of the same reason. Because you went away from Yahweh. You went away and you worshipped other Elohim. And you think to people that are sitting there in these places where these curses have happened, your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of your life. Oh, yeah. You go back and you check out the whole of the Mar that happened in Ukraine in 1934 and 35. See what happened to them. Horrendous. 10 million dead, right? And they were eating, they were cannibalizing themselves. Very difficult times. Okay. Chapter 29. Let's go ahead, Angelo. Mm -mm -mm. These are the words of the covenant, which Yahweh commanded Moshe to cut with the children of Yasharel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he cut with them in Korah. And Moshe called unto all Yasharel and said unto them, Ye have seen at, and all Yahweh did before your eyes in the land of Mitzrayim, unto Pharaoh, and unto all his servants, and unto all his land. The great temptations which your eyes have seen, the signs, and those great miracles. Yet Yahweh has not given you a heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. And I have led you. Forty years in the wilderness, your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and your shoe is not waxen old upon your foot. You have not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink. 
that she might know that I am Yahweh Elohim. And when you came unto this place, pronouncement, please. I want to get it right. Shishon. She called. Is it? Shishon. And please, please, Doctor P, post the scripture again. Oh, sorry. Hello, Mousy Bear. Where are you? You see that okay now? Yes. Thank you. Sishon. Sishon, the king of Keshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us into battle, and we smote them. And we took their land and gave it for an inheritance unto the Revenyam. Neem, rather, Reuvenim, is that correct? Uh, yeah, Reuvenim, yeah, Ru this Reuven is... Reuvenim, okay, yeah, I just Reuven? want to get there, okay. Reuven? And to the Gadim, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, guard therefore the words of this covenant, and do them, that ye may prosper at, in all that ye do. Thank you very much for letting me read. Yeah, yeah, you bet, Angela. So here's the thing, when we talk about this now, we see that Moshe is telling us, look, this is the foundation of the law. And most of the Christian world, believe it or not, over the last 2,000 years, has looked to this teaching for establishing the law. In fact, in the United States, when the United States was first formed, there was a, a large discussion by the judiciary. Well, what law do we use for governing these people? And the, the governor of Connecticut walked up to the chief judge and he said, Look, and he took the Bible and put it on top of his podium. He says, that's all the law you need. Use that. And th so this was the foundation, quote unquote, of the common law was found in Moshe's Torah. Okay. Are there any questions on that? Or can we proceed into the Haftarah? I have a next question because uh, our brother Dale and Peggy wrote on the comments that... Um, he added, "Never Torah never says that a man shouldn't have a sex with his own daughter. It forbids all kinds of other specific relationships, but neglects neglect to forbid a man having a sex with his own direct daughter. So Lord never break the law. Uh, what was the last thing, Violetta? So Lord never wasn't breaking Torah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's correct. So lot and and of course when you read that, there's a whole bunch of stuff that go into that stuff with lot, because uh, it appears I think rather conspicuously that the Ammonites and the Moabites were cursed. Right? I mean, would you agree with that summation? Not um, Ruth coming from Moab, uh, Moabites. Yes, she was she Moabite. Does. Yes, she does. Yeah. And she's in the line of Mashiach, right? Yeah. But, okay, but, so, the Torah says that we can have a sex, like, man can have a sex with his, his own daughter? No, he cannot. That is... So, this is what he said. This is what Dale and Peggy said. Maybe he will talk, okay? He said that it, the Torah never forbid to have a sex with his own daughter. Oh, but but didn't we read that in here? Please, 
please read it, the um, comments, Dale and Peggy. Well, um, this is Peggy. I'm the one that wrote that. And actually, it's been something kind of important to me because I was a victim of incest at the hands of my father at a very young age. And I remember months ago looking through that part of the Torah and thinking, look, it spells out all these specific relationships that are not allowed. And it never, ever includes that a man should not have sexual relations with his own daughter. And that really hurt me. And I didn't understand why does that, why is that left out? Is that acceptable? Why is it not stated in there when it's stating all these other relationships that are not permitted? Why does it fail to state that a man should not have sex with his own daughter? And if anyone can find it in there that it is in there, I would like um, to know that. But I have not found it. And where it specifically goes through all the different relationships that are forbidden, it doesn't state in Leviticus. a man and his own daughter. It's in Leviticus. Excuse me. You have to go back to the law of the Leviticus. Yeah, hang on just one second, John. Let me take a look at that here. Let's see if we can find it. You're talking about Leviticus 18. That's right. Yeah, and let's just, let's double check that because I think this is a, a great discussion point because, of course, uh, we want to know this, right? Okay, let's see. So in Leviticus 18.9, the nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether she be born at home or born abroad, uh, you shall not have the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. Okay, so that's talking about your grandchild. Grandchildren. Nakedness of your father's woman's daughter. Your father's woman's daughter. So that would be your sister, right? She's your sister. Or your half sister. Correct. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. That's your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister. She's your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That's your uncle. You shall not approach his woman. That's your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's woman. And you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's woman. That's your your niece. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, neither shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. Now, this arguably is a passage that would refer to you in your case. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. So if you're married to a woman and she has a daughter, you're not to take her daughter. Neither are you to take her son's daughters. Now, you might look at this and say, well, this is uh, this is referring to a woman who was married before and had a daughter. But it doesn't say that, right? No. So, you shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Neither shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness, but they are her near kinswoman. It's wickedness. So I think this is a declaration that when you're, when you're, married to a woman and she has a daughter you cannot touch her daughter even though it's described as her daughter um i mentioned how that's how that's couched in the hebrew thank you sir that actually that really helps my heart 
Yeah, because I do think that this is um, uh, that this does uh, approach. It does uh, answer that question. That you know, and this is a difficulty in um, you know uh, people who think that they have an excuse. I mean, you know, in your own heart, it's wrong. Right. The man who's molesting his daughter knows in his own heart it's wrong. He knows it's wrong, and he shouldn't be doing it. And and try to find trying to find a scriptural loophole that would allow a person to do that is absolutely reprehensible. You can't do that. You should have a sense of right and wrong and a sense of decency. And uh, you know, so yeah, and of course, you know, and of course, what I have found that like when we were in Washington, I think I think they say something like eight out of ten girls in Washington were molested in their childhood something like eight out of 10. It's very, very high that people think it's permissible to do that kind of thing. And it simply isn't. It's not permissible. And so the Torah here, I think is, is uh, yeah. So I think, it, I, think, I think it does speak to that. Okay. In a roundabout way, it just wasn't immediately recognizable to me when I was looking through those verses. So okay. thank you for and I am so sorry, Peggy, that I put that on the top of the topic. Sorry. That's that's so that's fine. Thank you. No, no. I think it's it's something that has to be discussed because guess what? The Torah has real application in our lives. Yes. It, it does. And we need to understand that. Okay. So with that, let's get into the Haftarah and let's see what it has to say to us. Maybe it's going to deliver some good news. And as we're preparing for the Haftarah, I just again I just want to reiterate that chapter 28 of Deuteronomy is upon us right now. And it'd be well worth the time for those of you that know this to share this with your politician friends and tell them they need to wake up and smell the coffee while they still can. There's no time like the present, right? Okay, let me see if I can share the screen here. Okay, here we go. Okay. Melissa McIntyre. <laughs> you want to go ahead and give Arise us rise and shine. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But Yahweh shall arise upon you. And his glory shall be seen upon you. And the other nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your eyes. Lift up your eyes round about and see, all they gather themselves together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from far, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and flow together. And your heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned back unto you. The forces of the other nations shall come unto you. The multitude of camels shall cover you. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense. They shall show forth the praises of Yahweh. All the flocks of Kedah shall be gathered together unto you. The rams of Nevayot shall minister unto you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar. 
and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? Surely the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first to bring your sons from far, their silver and their gold with them unto the name of Yahweh Elaheka, to the Holy One of Yasharal, because he has glorified me. And the sons of strangers shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister unto you. For in my wrath I smote you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut by day nor by night, that men may bring unto you the forces of the other nations, and that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto you, the fir tree, the pine tree, the box together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you, and all they that despised you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet, and they shall call you the city of Yahweh, the Zion of the Holy One of Yeshua. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through you, I will make you an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. You shall also suck the milk of the other nations, and shall suck the breast of the kings. And you shall know that I, Yahweh, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Yaakov. For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood, brass, and for stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace, and your exactors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls Yeshua, and your gates praise. The sun shall no more be your light by day, neither there for brightness shall the moon give light unto you. But Yahweh shall be unto you an everlasting light, and your Elohim your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, neither shall your moon withdraw itself. For Yahweh shall be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Your people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, Yahweh, will hasten it in its time. Wow. Well, I have to admit that that uh, really blessed me in hearing that passage. And I do think also that this also is upon us. 
And all of this is just so remarkable. The darkness shall cover the earth and the gross darkness, the people. Are we in that time now? But Yahweh shall rise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. And the other nations shall come to your light. They gather themselves together, and they come. The abundance of the sea shall be turned back to you. The forces of other nations shall come unto you. Right? All of these things, all of these things, right, that will come. And they will come unto the name of Yahweh Eloheka and the Holy One of Yasharel, because he has glorified you. All these things, see, this is a blessing that is even above and beyond what Moshe was talking about. And this is going to happen <clears throat> not because of something that we do. The sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you, and they that despised you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of Yahweh, the Zion of the Holy One of Yasharal. Ah, uh, just amazing, just amazing, 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 amazing. Dr. P, go back to where he says um, Yaakov. It's uh Okay, so it's right there in 16. Oh. The mighty the mighty one of Yaakov. Why is it Yaakov? John Bar? <laughs> Seed of Yasharel? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, when you talk about, you remember that Yaakov was his original name, and he was named Yasharel after he had wrestled with the angel. And he said, you are a prince in Yasharev. And he was called Yasharev that, that time forward. And, you know, and just uh, to give you a little bit on this, the when you look at this word, you have this word here in the Hebrew. Oh, that's not a good color. Hold on. Get a better color here. Dr. P. Yes. I don't like to disturb you, but I feel that Paul's prophecy also fits into this. You feel After my vision gave you a week ago. You feel that? Oh, uh, you, uh, which prophecy? Acts 29, when he was um, oh, yeah. prophesying on Lewd Hill. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Okay, I'll, I'll get to that in just one second. So what you see here, this word here is the word yashar. 
And this word is the word ale. This in the modern world, they tell us is the word Israel. But as you can see, it's really Yashar El. Yashar El. And this is the name that was given to Yaakov. So Yaakov, the mighty one of Yaakov, Yaakov is another name for Israel or Yashar El. Okay? All right. All right. So let's stop the sharing for a second. And let's see. We've got, we still remain the... Uh, the Torah portion of Lucas, okay? And we and we should get to that. Does anybody want to read that, the the, the Besorah? Uh, Melissa, did you want to read the Besorah? Okay. All right, let's do the Besorah. I will share that screen again. Just one second. Okay. Let's go ahead and read the Besorah. Yeah, sorry, Doc. I just wanted to also say that it was the Yah or the or the Elohim of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So you know, it's it's to make no mistake that this is the Yah of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, uh, where, to which the promises were made. Right, right. In that in that last chapter, and then. You know, we, we see the we see the um, the the blueprint, if you will, of the new Yerushalayim, where uh, he is the light, right? Right, right. Yeah, and that is a prophecy. I mean, I think the last portion of that Isaiah prophecy is an end days prophecy. I think that's right. Okay, let's go ahead and read the Besorah. Melissa, do you want to go with that? Thank you. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Shimon, the Serenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Yahushua. And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Yahusha, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Yerushalayim, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wounds that never bore, and the breasts which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us, for if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Yahusha, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, 
and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Hamashiach, the chosen of Elohim. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If you be the king of Yahudim, save yourself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Yavani and Latin and Ivrit, This is the king of the Yahudim. And one of the criminals which were hanged railed on him, saying, If you be Hamashir, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do not you fear Yah, seeing you are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Yahushua, Adonai, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Yahushua said unto him, Amen, I say unto you today, you shall be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Yahushua cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my Ruach. And having said thus, he gave up his Ruach. Now when the centurion saw what was done, Ephi glorified Yah, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the woman that followed him from Galil stood afar off, beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counsellor, and he was a good man, and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and the deed of them. He was of Ramah, the city of the Yahudim, who also himself waited for the kingdom of Yahweh. This man went unto Pilate and begged off the body of Yahushua. And he took it down, and he wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a sepulchre that was hewn in stone, wherein never man was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Shabbat drew on. And the woman also, which came with him from Galil, followed after, and beheld the sepulchre, and how his body was laid. And they returned, and prepared spices, and ointments, and rested the Shabbat according to the commandment. A most excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank well, you. It's such a great read, this particular passage. And of course, this differs in terms of the specific factual litany from the description that's given in Mark and the description that's given in Matthew and the description that is given in John. There's little nuances, like what was written on the cross, for instance, is different, right? And what was said on the cross is different. And so we see, you know, why do we have factual differences 
in the in, in the in this particular recitation of what happened on the cross. You would think that we'd have an exactly the same factual narrative, but it's different in all four gospels. Why? Now we readily accept that it's different. We don't have a problem in accepting that. But but the question I have for you is, is that why do we not have a question of accepting it when there's appears to be things left out in some of the Gospels that are included in other Gospels. And you would think that at the time of the crucifixion, that everybody would be on the same page in terms of giving you the exact data as to what happened. But that's not the case. Now, there's several things to conclude from this. And I think this is a widely accepted view that these were written by different authors in different places at different times pursuant to their recollection. In other words, the whole of the New Testament wasn't crafted by a single author who wrote it all down and said, here you go. Different authors, different places. Now, it's generally accepted that Mark was written by the apostle known as John Mark, who was being mentored by Kepha, Simon Peter, uh, who had gone into Fortress Babylon, which is now modern-day Cairo, Egypt. But at that time, it was called Fortress Babylon. And they had gone there. They had left. They'd, they'd done some traveling. They went up to Antioch. They went to Cappadocia. Hold on just a minute. We obviously have a got a moose in the backyard here. Got to get our dog to settle down here a little bit, but um, but it's John Mark was with Peter in Fortress Babylon, now Cairo. And when you read Second Peter, you'll read that he says, I'm writing to you from Babylon. Okay. He's not writing to you from Babylon uh, in Iraq. He's writing you writing to you from Fortress Babylon in Egypt. And it's uh, it was in the olden days, they used to bring ships up the Nile to Fortress Babylon, and they had cut a canal from Fortress Babylon to the Red Sea. And this was where sea traffic went. And this is where John Mark was. And this became the foundation of the Coptic Church, which would later be completely established uh, pursuant to political permission in the fourth century following the Council of Nicaea, um, given by Constantinople, when Rome adopted Christianity as the religion of the church. And so the foundation that was being laid in uh, Fortress Babylon would become the Coptic Church in Egypt, which ultimately would be expressed in Alexandria under Cyril, who brought the church to bear in dominance at the point of a sword. He did so by killing up, killing the Jews in the city and, and tearing down the idols of uh, the pagans and the other heathens that were had different idols going on in, uh, in, in Egypt. Okay, Matthew, on the other hand, was probably writing in Jerusalem. Gospel of Matthew, 
Gospel of John was probably written elsewhere, maybe in Pathos in Greece, but somewhere else. And of course, the Gospel of Luke is a recitation of facts given by Lucius, who was a friend of Paul's in Rome. And Lucius would eventually become the first bishop of Rome. And he also wrote the book of Acts, and it's believed that he wrote 2 Corinthians and possibly the book of Hebrews. Uh, and so Lucius also uh, was a very important person, but Lucius was writing somewhere completely distinctly different. And I think Lucius wrote in Greek, but I believe Matthew wrote in, in uh, Hebrew, and I think Mark wrote in Hebrew. And uh, I believe John was also written in Hebrew. So uh, this is why you see disparities and differences in the Gospels in terms of their factual uh, assertion. Okay. Okay. So let's uh, let's get a few comments from people. Let's uh, let's go. Uh, I have a quick comment, if I could, Dr. Payne, and I'm, then I will hush. I promise you. Uh, in this, uh, how well this applies to today's uh, Torah, when you think about the curse, only Yahusha could lift anyone, forgive sins in this case, and lift the curse of whatever. When you think about what he said in uh, Lucas here, that he said, uh, "Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves." And for your children. And so if you go over to 50, where it says the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this nation. And so some 40 years later, did they not eat their own children? All those things. When you, when you, when you look at the writings of Josephus, uh, Josephus rather, how graphic it is. All those things came upon them. And so when Yah speaks, it is. And what's coming upon this entire earth is going to be the worldwide. And so how sobering that is to ponder on that, because his, when he spoke it, he's not, he's not, this isn't a past thing. He spoke it. And the only release that you can get is through Yahusha. That's the door to be forgiven and released and how privileged we are to know this. Yeah, I think you're right on it on that one, Angelo. I think it is it is coming on the whole earth. It's coming on the whole earth. And it is incumbent upon us to see that and to know that. And we have so we've got an interesting combination of passages. We talk about Deuteronomy 28, the promises of Deuteronomy 29. The promises in the passage of Isaiah were huge. This huge blessing that is there. But you can see that when when that blessing was was ignored, and at the time of the crucifixion of Mashiach, their Messiah had come unto them, and they did not know him. And part of the reason they didn't know him is because the name of Yah had been taken from their lips. This is in Jeremiah 44. And because of that, they had no idea that he had come in the name of the Father, and they did not know him. And... So at any rate, you're right. And what we see and what came upon Jerusalem, I mean, there were a million and a half people slaughtered by the Romans in 70 AD in, in Jerusalem. I mean, it was just a, it was just a, an absolute bloodbath. Dead people. I mean, can you imagine a million and a half people? How many people that is? Uh, men, women, and children lying all over the ground, blood everywhere. And then the Romans who, in this particular case, they were Roman soldiers, but they were mostly from Turkey and Syria they elected to remove every stone of the temple and every stone was removed. And this is why, you know, people want to go and they want to uh, give adoration to the temple mount. And the temple mount is, you know, if you 
think that the Temple Mount is something associated with the with the second temple, or with the Temple of Yah, then you're despising the words of the gospel. Because the gospel says categorically, every stone was removed. Every stone. Did they did they not take that upon themselves against order? That's how when Yah speaks, it's done. Because it was an order to not do that. And they went against it. Is that correct? My, my understanding of that when I read that, that they took it upon themselves. So they fulfilled prophecy even in spite of what someone, whoever the general was, did not order that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. The, yeah. the general, I, I think it was Hadrian who, who was responsible for that burning. And you're right. They did not, uh, it was not ordered. The, the, the soldiers from Turkey took it upon themselves to remove every stone. That's correct. Right. Right. And so, yeah, so, I mean, so here you see, but it was, it was following the prophecy that was given. The prophecy said every stone will be removed, and it was. And we either believe that or we don't. And if you're a Christian united for Israel, you know, a Kufi, and you think that the Temple Mount is, um, is part of the temple, well, then you're, you know, you're anathema to the gospel. So that's something to think about. And, you know, and then also what you see here is that, um, uh, you're right. The cursing came upon uh, Jerusalem at this point, and the cursing comes upon the whole earth. And you know, we when we see this cursing come upon the whole earth, remember Kumiori Kiva Orek Alak Sarah. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And because our light is coming, and the darkness of the world, that that this darkness that comes upon the whole earth, is not a darkness for us. It is not a darkness for us. And you should never say, I'm going to I'm going to learn to live in the dark because you don't need to be in the dark. We have the light of Mashiach in us, upon us, and through us. And we will live in that light, notwithstanding whatever darkness comes upon the earth. Amen. Chris, Melissa, did you guys have anything you want to add to this? Doc, you know, the, 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 the last verse um, to me was important first uh because well wait a minute let me just get it here because it it it, it lays once again a custom right that uh they were keeping the sabbath so yeah. the notion of um him uh rising on the sunday and therefore it's the sunday well first of all it probably wasn't and then second of all this is um a, a keeping of Yah's, Yah's commandments. Uh, so I think that's important. Yeah, that's a very good point. And so it says, and the day was the preparation. That would mean Pesach. That's what they call the day of preparation. And the Shabbat drew on. Now, it's very interesting that they would call this the preparation because this also is rabbinical. Yes. The Torah specifies and the history in Exodus specifies that it was the night before that they killed the lamb and they ate the lamb, every bit of it, uh, at each family on the evening of the 14th. They ate the lamb, they killed the lamb, they ate it, they ate it with haste. They made their bread with haste, unleavened bread with haste, because they were not going to be able to stay. And the following day, they walked, they left Egypt during that day. So the, the, Pesach Seder, um, you know, whereas in the Jews, they're going to have this Pesach Seder the first night of matzah. That is an incorrect feast. 
And yes. scriptures do record it as they were preparing to have the feast that night and doing the slaughter of the sheep during the day, whereas Mashiach had correctly kept the Last Supper. He had correctly kept the Pesach the evening before. That had been done correctly. And equally important that the record also shows that during the, the meal that they had, the record only reflects them eating bread and drinking wine. There's no discussion of any other food going on at that Last Supper. Now, there may have been other food. The record doesn't say anything that they were eating anything else. But there is a clear record of bread and wine. And this, so this took place in the Pesach Supper. So is it reasonable to conclude that they were eating lamb at this Pesach Supper? They may have been. They may have been. Uh the you know but the the idea that the christian church teaches that oh well they were slaughtering sheep the next day at three o'clock which was exactly the hour that mashiach died on the cross well to the extent that they were slaughtering sheep at three o'clock that is a, 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 a absolutely anomalous to the torah because the torah does not require any levite to sacrifice any sheep at the temple that the sheep were to be, the, the unblemished lamb was to be prepared at the house of the believer and to be sacrificed at the believer's house the night before that you could take the blood and strike it on the doorpost, right? This was what the instruction was. So for the Christian church to teach that, oh, they were all sacrificing sheep at three o'clock in the afternoon when Mashiach died is rabbinical Talmudism. It is not consistent with what we see in the scripture. And once again, it ignores the idea that Mashiach's Last Supper was correct to the Torah. It was accurate to the Torah, not the business of let's have a, a Passover Seder on the first night of Matzah. That's not correct to the Torah. So to call, it, to call the day the day of preparation is what they called it, but you know it was not a day of preparation. Historically, it was a day of departure. And the preparation had been done in haste the night before. So anyway, it's kind of interesting that that would be the case. And of course, and the Sabbath drew on, right? And and Joseph of Arimathea, who's mentioned in this passage, uh, Joseph, there, 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 and behold, a man named Joseph, a counselor, a good man, and just, he had not consented to the council and their deeds because he was on the Sanhedrin. And he was uh, who uh, was of Ramah, a city of the Yahudim, who also waited for the kingdom of Elohim. Yeah, he was also a believer. He was also the father of Miriam. And again, this information is redacted from the Gospels. Nobody wants to talk about the stuff that was left out, the stuff that was cut out. Did the record actually tell us, for instance, who the parties were who were married, where Mashiach converted the water to wine? Did the record actually tell us who was the disciple whose father died? Did the record at one time name Peter's mother-in-law so that we know who she was? Was that actually in the Gospels to begin with, but was cut out over the years by the scribes so that they could invent a story around it that didn't have names included? I mean, these are questions, right? And these become important questions. Now, you may say to yourself, well, my pastor taught me that the scriptures are inerrant. But was the pastor who said that to you holding up an NIV? 
Was he holding up an NKJV? Was he holding up an ESV? Was he holding up an ASV? What Bible was he holding up telling you it was inerrant? When you know for a fact that if he was holding up a 66-book Bible, he wasn't holding up the whole of the canonized scripture. He was not. The only canonization process that's ever occurred in Rome happened at the Council of Trent in 1536 AD. And they canonized 66 books and the additional books of the Apocrypha. That's what happened. And because it was accepted in the Catholic Church, it was also accepted in the Protestant world, such that Miles Coverdale's 1539 Great Bible of Britain that was mandated by law to be in every church in Britain, included the Apocrypha. 1560 Geneva Bible of John Calvin included the Apocrypha. The 1611 authorized version of the KJV included the Apocrypha. Why does your Bible only have 66 books? Because somebody cut out books. And if they were willing to cut out books, were they also willing to cut out sections of the text? West Cotton Hort certainly did in the late 1800s, and that's fraud. It was they absolute absolutely fraud. Did. They said that there was almost the equivalent of both First Peter and Second Peter amount of words that they removed, and by this fraudulent, what was it, the, uh, the Vatican text as they called it, and no, the Codex Sinaiticus. Yes, Sinaiticus, rather. And so, yes, it was fraud, and it was absolutely proven to be so. And so that's what most of these scriptures are based on, a lot of this in, this, in the 20th That's correct. Century. And uh, let's talk about that for just a second, Angelo. The Codex Sinaiticus was found in this, you know, uh, this uh, seminary at the Sinai. And it was found by a self-appointed archaeologist who was who had no training whatsoever. His name was, uh, was Tishburn. And Tishburn showed up, and he finds this document in the trash can in this monastery. The monks were using pages of it to start fires. And he, he alone, grabs it and says, oh, I found the oldest manuscript in the world. And so he comes back to Germany and he publishes this Codex Sinaiticus. I found the oldest manuscript in the world. And when he did, and when he went public with it, a guy named Constantine Simonides living in Manchester, England, comes forward and publishes on the front page of the Manchester Guardian, no, I wrote that. I was writing that for the czar. I did a horrible job on it. And that's why I threw it in the trash and left it in that in that monastery. Uh, Tishberg comes back, oh no, that's not true. This is the oldest manuscript in the world. Simonides published again and again for three years. Simonides came out and said, I wrote it, I wrote it, I wrote it, I wrote it. And then Westcott and Hort, two atheists from Cambridge, came out and proclaimed it to be the oldest manuscript of the New Testament known. And they took it and married it to the Codex Vaticanus, also a corrupted book that the Vatican had rewritten many times in order to make it comport with their catechism and their doctrine. And he married the two of them together. And that became the foundation for the New International Version for the English uh, second version, the ESV, for the uh, American Standard Bible, for the New American Standard Bible, and for the NKJV. All of those Bibles are built on the text that Westcott Hort for, uh, put together, 
predicated upon the forged Codex Sinaiticus, the fraudulent Codex Sinaiticus, and the corrupted Codex Vaticanus. And this is what is being held up in the Christian church right now as we speak as the inerrant word of Yah. It's butchered. It's redacted. It's cut up. And there's another problem, too, which is that when you read those texts, you've got big-time problems. One of the biggest problems is that Matthew 1 directly contradicts Luke 3. And so when you read those, you have to reach a conclusion. Who's lying, Matthew or Luke? And if you accept both of them as true, which a lot of a lot of pastors try to do because they invent a bunch of stories about how, oh, when it says Joseph, the supposed father of Mashiach, what they're really talking about there is Mary. You know, how do you get that? That's because you just make things up in your own mind to justify a text that doesn't exist with some kind of, you know, mythological story that doesn't exist in the real world in order to deal with the fact that you have two contradictory texts in both Gospels. The word of the this Bible is inerrant. Then why does Matthew 1 give us a genealogy of Joseph, the husband of Mary, that's completely different than Joseph, the supposed father? Why? And if you accept them as true, and you say, well, I don't know why, but I'm just going to accept them both as true, then you cannot associate Mashiach to the line of David. You can't do it. So that means that Peter is telling a big fat lie in Acts 2. So this is the story that we get. This is the story that we get when the pastor is telling you this is the inerrant word. And of course, we have to look to and look at the passage that says what? Hold on just a second. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to get going. Look at the passage that says, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moshe's seat, diligently do what they tell you to do. Now, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, that's only when they're sitting in Moses' seat. Well, you could look at it from that point of view. Or you could read it in the plain text. What the scribes and Pharisees tell you to do, you need to do. That means you need to read the Mishnah. That means you need to read the Gemara. That means you need to read the Talmud. You need to respect the oral law. And you need to respect the Ten Pillars of Judaism. That's what's in most people's Bible. Problem. It's a problem. So anyway, with that... I, I hate to say it, guys, but I'm going to have to go. So, John, uh, let's let's go through some comments here. So, uh, I, I hate to be time, timely on this, but I am, I've only got about 14 minutes left, okay? So, go ahead, John. John Barr. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I got a lot of points, but I'm going to summarize. If you look at all four Gospels, what they describe about the crucifixion, you can put the whole picture together. Each of them have different things in there, but it all will go together if you you can't just take one and say, well, why is this one different than that one? You, you go in and do all of it together and, and you'll get a, a much better picture of it. 
the guy on the right cross that defended Yahushua that day against what the other guy on the left said, this guy is like the first in the kingdom. <laughs> the day you will be with me in paradise. He's the only person through all of the trials who was an honest witness. He testified that this man, Yahushua, is innocent. You, guy on the left, and me over here on the right, we deserve our punishment. He repented and said he deserves what he's getting. And so, so does the guy on the left. He was crying about this whole episode and mocking Yahushua. So, and then as far as the sign goes, Pilate knew Yahushua was the rightful king. He knew this because he knew the genealogy of the foremost people in the history of Judea. I didn't know that. He knew it because that's what they do. It's like our CIA. They know everybody that's anybody in every country in the world. That's what analysts do. So the Romans weren't any different. They knew everybody that was somebody in the royal lines as far back as the ancient times. So they knew that. There's no question about it. That's why Matthew knew it. He had access to the tax records. It went all the way back to who had to go to Bethlehem, where Boaz's family and Ruth and their son, Obed, and his son, Jesse, and his son, David, had the records. This all makes sense, okay? So Pilate knew that's why he brought Yahushua inside, inside, away from the Jewish leaders, and personally asked him this question, are you the king? What do you say? And Yahushua said, I'm not saying it. You, you said it. He didn't really answer the question, but he said that Pilate is correct. He knew it. You said it. And he did say it. What Pilate wanted to know is, is Yahushua himself in that time running around Judea claiming that he's the king? In other words, formulating an insurrection against Rome. And the answer is no, he wasn't doing that at all. So that sort of, again, go back and research this stuff for yourself and you will come up with these things because it's all in there. And, and Luke's, Luke's gospel 